Hello and welcome to the MJ Cast. I'm Jamin Bull and this is episode 98, a regular episode, our first regular episode of season five. It is Saturday, the 23rd of March. And I'm here with my co-host Q, our legal correspondent, Charles Thompson, and also first time MJ Cast guest, Annika Kotecha. We're very excited to be here today to be talking all about Leaving Neverland, documentary by Dan Reed, and also a whole bunch of news, including some important Michael Jackson products being pulled in the wake of Leaving Neverland, new Michael Jackson footage, a Quincy Jones production at the O2 Arena in London, and a whole bunch more. So stay tuned for episode 98 of the MJ Cast. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love, you. <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. All right, here we go. Episode 98, Season 5. Q, how are you? Hello. Welcome. I'm back in Season 5. I've still got my job. <laughs> yeah, you weren't there Yay. for the launch. Sorry. but <laughs> I wasn't there for the launch. And I don't think I was there for at least one of the three episodes that we released while on break. Wasn't there for Harrison. Three episodes over the break, they were great. So good. So you guys got a mixtape in episode 96. Uh, Episode 95, of course, was um, Leaving Neverland Roundtable, which has been a tad huge, hasn't it, Jamin? Oh, absolutely. It's just about to cross over, actually, within the next few days into becoming our most popular episode ever. On podcasts, if you aggregate podcasts and all the other platforms we're on, like YouTube, it already is our most popular episode ever. We've shifted something like 70,000 downloads of it. So we're very, very excited that it's done so well to get some truth out there around the documentary and Michael. So thank you to everyone who supported it and shared it. And we're very proud of our efforts there with episode 95. But here we are. We finally are two episodes now into season five, which is crazy. And after we have this big discussion and we uh, do all the news stuff after that, we'll have a little lighthearted chat about stuff that we did on the break and Eurovision and things that kept us kept us positive and happy while all this other drama has been going on. Yeah, definitely. Now, we've got some people here on the show with us today that we're so excited to have. Our legal correspondent, Charlie Thompson, welcome back to the show. This is the first time you, me and Q have been behind the mic all together in a little while. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for contributing so much with Jamin. Charlie, it's been really awesome. And for all that you've been doing in the media and like on social media, you've just been an absolute just firecracker and it's been amazing. So thank you so much. Oh, that's, that's what I do. That's what you do best. <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, and we're also very, very lucky to be joined here by Annika Kotecha, who is uh, from the UK, I understand, and also has a, a legal background. So Annika, welcome to the MJ cast. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure, absolutely. Now, to talk to us a little bit about your background. Charlie told me earlier you're in law, so what sort of field or what area are you in? I'm actually a commercial lawyer. I work in-house for a healthcare company. 
Awesome. That's great. Well, it's always great to speak to somebody who has a, you know, an understanding of the law, especially when we're about to talk about some you know, things around leaving Neverland and how that's playing out in, in the UK. So that's wonderful. And I can hear the, the lovely sounds of a little newborn there. Yes. Sorry if she interrupts us. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's quite all right. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly what it's like to have a little baby So, and being up late. So it's probably probably a, a reasonably good time for you to re- record a podcast. If you- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Annika, you're also involved in the MJ Innocent campaign in the UK. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So I'm the co-founder of the in- Innocent Project and... Um, Really, our aim has been to try and get the truth behind these allegations out as widely as we possibly can. Um, so, Shawnee O'Kane, who founded the idea, came up with the um, the idea of having posters on buses because we thought that would be a great way to reach a large number of people. Um, so we managed to raise enough money to do that. The adverts went up and caused a lot of controversy. They were also an excellent way to get the the new... It wasn't just about what I came to realise in the end. To to be perfectly frank, at the start of the campaign, I was like, oh, we should just be giving money to Taj right now. And then um, after a few days of it, I was like, oh, hang on. This isn't just about eyes seeing these things in London. It's about this causing a story. And um, it certainly did that. The campaign morphed into news agencies discussing the campaign. So I thought it had a great impact in that way. It really did. And and the reality of it was that we were never going to be able to do a campaign as big as we wanted to because we just weren't going to raise that much money as quickly as we needed to. And for us, if it got picked up by the national news, they were doing our job for us. Um, and that's what happened. And, and this campaign's now gone global. You know, the image and, and the wording associated with that particular advert has been up on billboards in the US. It's gone up in the Netherlands and all sorts of different places. So it's it's really become bigger than we even anticipated. It's all throughout China. Um, I saw the advert, you know, pasted to the Great Wall of China and different fans all around cities in China holding the, the posters. And it's been an, an absolute, you know, groundswell of a, you know, like a grassroots campaign. The fans have really come together for it. So congratulations on how it's working out. And thank you very much for all of your efforts with Shawnee and making it happen. Thank you. This episode's going to be a little bit different, isn't it, Q? We're going to flip the order of things. Yes, and I think it might be good because I think we've got a lot of new listeners recently. So this will be quite a good way for them to sort of get a taste of our shows with a heavy discussion with people that um, know what they're talking about. Well, you know, some more than others. So today we're going to talk about the film. So there's a few of us that have not seen the film and then a few of you that have seen the film. So you'll be able to come from that perspective and then we can all talk about the stuff around it. Our main discussion topic today is Leaving Neverland and the Aftermath. And we're going to do that first up in the show. And then, because it is a regular news and discussion episode, we're going to follow that up with our news stories. And we're also going to hear from our correspondents. So we have a Jackson family correspondent, Yannicka from Jackson Source. We have the Janet Jackson correspondent ladies from the Janet Today podcast. We're going to hear from them. And we're going to hear from Stephen, from Michael Jackson Fans for Charity, MJFFC. We're going to play some tunes throughout 
And uh, like I mentioned later on, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we've done over the break. So, Jamin, you've now seen the Jacksons live in concert. I got to see them. We got to meet them. And then just some other unrelated stuff. I've seen another concert and got another little obsession to keep me sane during all this leaving Neverland drama. And I guess new listeners that don't know a lot about us personally, they'll probably learn some things just hearing us chat later in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we do apologize if we sound a little bit flat to begin this season. I know usually we're very excited and talking about MJ News and all kinds of things, but, you know, it's no secret that the MJ world's gone through a period of extreme upheaval in the past two or three months since we last did, you know, a regular episode. It's been really taxing and this is this is not at all how we Q and I would have liked to have started a new season of the MJ cast discussing this uh, absolutely you know, defamatory documentary that's come out. But nonetheless, we are a news show and we need to discuss exactly what's happened in the fan world and and break it down for you guys, uh, which I'm hopefully you've been looking forward to. So let's get straight into that. Uh, now, you did mention, Q, that, that a couple of us have seen the documentary and a couple of us haven't. Um, there's reasons for that. I have definitely watched it. I've seen it twice now. I saw it once about a week ago uh, or something, a little bit more. And then I watched it again for this recording last night and this morning just to get it fresh in my mind and I've taken a whole bunch of notes as well. And then Annika, you've you've also seen it as well and what at what point did you watch it? What version did you see? I saw the UK version and I saw it when it aired on Channel 4. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then Charlie and Q, you guys have made the decision not to watch the documentary. So just for listeners, walk us through why you've why you've made that call. Charlie well, firstly, I just have no interest in watching it. Secondly, I'm very busy and giving up four hours to watch something that I already know is crap is is not, in my opinion, a good use of my time. And thirdly, you know, I've seen some people who are rampant, like, defenders of the film saying on Twitter, well, if you haven't seen it, you can't have an opinion. How can you say that it's full of lies if you haven't seen it, which is just kind of like so ridiculous. It's like saying, you know, I've been studying the Michael Jackson allegations for over 15 years. So it's a bit like saying to a World War II expert that you can't have an opinion on World War II because you haven't seen Saving Private Ryan. If I've read all the court documents, watching the TV show is not going to erase all of the lies and the contradictions which have come before the TV show. So what these people are effectively saying is you should just park all the facts and all the previous material and just accept what these men are saying because they're saying it in a TV show. I, I just see no basis for it. I, I know the case. I know the court documents. I know the history. And I don't need to watch the two men tell their stories in real time on TV because I've been reading them since 2013. So I, I just have no interest in watching it at this time. Yeah, I'm in a pretty similar boat to Charles, except he's well more versed on it than myself because he's had to study it so much in, in detail. Um, but yeah, very similar to Charles. And I just for my mental health, I do not need to subject myself to that at this time, maybe down the track perhaps when it's not as fresh and and raw. Also, I do a lot of the social media stuff online, so I'm getting clips of it. I'm getting the inconsistencies presented in well-produced videos. 
and I trust that people will be able to relay the information accurately to me if I do need to know something. And you've seen it for me. So there you go. <laughs> yes, I've subjected myself to the uh, the pain of it to, uh, <laughs> to bring you some thoughts, listeners. So, yeah, I watched the doco twice, like I said. Um, and, yeah, like basically as I was watching it the first time, I took some notes. And then the second time I watched it, I added to those notes. And I could pretty much only watch it in sort of um, chunks of about 20, 30 minutes for different reasons, which I'll get into. But it wasn't something I could sit down and watch for the whole thing. And I don't think I could. I tried to watch it. I honestly didn't think I would be able to do this, but I tried to really watch it as I watched it with my wife the first time. And she's not a huge Michael Jackson fan. So I tried to sit with her and put myself in her shoes and be like, right, I'm just going to put aside all of this stuff I know about Michael Jackson for just a little bit. And I'm just going to try and watch this through the lens of somebody who's never seen or heard much about the history of these allegations. So I was sort of watching her as I was watching the documentary and it's caused quite a number of arguments in our family. Let me tell you, it hasn't been easy this past couple of weeks trying to, you know, because one of the things about this documentary is, um, I will say that, uh, yeah, it's some of the uh, Wade for me Wade is the least believable out of both of them, but I I do feel that at certain times in it and especially Jimmy do come across two non fans as pretty genuine and the construction of the documentary in itself is um it's pretty pretty affecting. Like the a lot of people I've spoken to have seen it now have been fairly affected by it um, and and do come away pretty much believing what's in it. It's a powerful documentary in that way. Once you learn the facts, though, behind the scenes, then all of that kind of fades away and you can see the inconsistencies in it. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But the first thing I... I'll just go through my notes. Basically, the first thing I wrote down was that the score really struck me. The, the music behind it was nothing like what I expected it was going to be like. I thought it was going to be like a... Um, you know, some like a something really dark and mysterious, uh, sort of foreboding music, and it's not at all. It's like a classical score that you'd hear in a romance movie set in like antiquity or something. It's really, it's a funny score. It's very orchestral, and it's very jarring to hear that against what you're hearing from the mouths of these fellas about what they allegedly experienced. I felt it was a reasonably well-made documentary. It's, uh, I certainly don't think it deserves the score it has on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, I think, at present over 90%. I certainly don't think it deserves that. It's disgustingly long. It's just ridiculous. It's four hours. I've never seen a film that long. The longest Lord of the Rings is half an hour shorter than that. It's um, <laughs> it's way, way, way too long. And I don't understand how the people in Sundance could actually sit through four hours of this because it's very, very repetitive. Um, I also didn't like some of the stylistic choices in it. A lot of the original footage, they have lots and lots of original footage of Michael Jackson. Much of it you wouldn't, wouldn't won't have seen before. But what they do is they put all of that footage into the frame and they blur the edges of the footage and the photographs. And it just, it's weird. I don't know why Dan Reed decided to do that. Um, it's a weird decision that I find really jarring. Um, and also, uh, just one other comment on the technicality of it is um, it, it's basically footage of, it's three things. It's people sitting in a room talking for ages. It's contemporaneous footage from the time from their own archives and from 
just news reports and different things and press footage. And it's drone footage. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of drone shots. And if you don't know what drone shots are, they're just cameras that have been set up on a drone doing aerial shots of things. Houses, Neverland, apartment buildings, over and over and over again. Like every minute or two, there's a drone shot. <laughs> and Jamin, it's just, can yes. I ask a question about yeah. the Neverland drone footage? Like yes. how recent is the drone footage of Neverland? It's all very recent. So I think what Dan Reed's done is he's actually gone out and taken – like less than a year old footage of all of these locations. So there's heaps of drone footage of Brisbane City. There's drone footage of LA and, of course, lots and lots of Neverland. And a lot of the drone footage of Neverland is from recent times. There's also a lot of footage from um, – I, I actually recognized a number of shots from the real estate advertising for Neverland as well that's been used in it. But it's very recent stuff. But there's also a lot of footage of Neverland from the time as well, a lot of police raid stuff, etc. Similarly to what Marcos Cabota said in episode 95 of the MJ cast, the first quarter of the documentary is actually really good. If you take just that and take put everything aside, it's fantastic. It's basically a historical look into Michael Jackson during the bad era and how he sort of took different families under his wing and you know, allowed them into his world. There's so much footage I've never seen of before. There's Brisbane Bad Tour footage with Stevie Wonder on stage. There's heaps and heaps of, um, you know, photos and footage of Michael just in his personal world and in people's homes. There's one that, Charlie, you and I talked about a little while ago, which was really interesting to see. It was Michael in the Bad Era without hair extensions in. I was like, okay, wow, I've not seen that before. There's photos of him without makeup on in the bad era and the vitiligo is really evident on his face. There's lots of stuff you won't have seen before. And that mixed in with this incredible story of Michael befriending these normal boys from their everyday lives is amazing. I'm from Brisbane as well. So it's super weird to see so much footage of my home city from the 80s, you know, during the bad era. You see... Michael in Brisbane in the 80s, you see things like Wade Robson winning the dance competition at Indrapilly Shopping Centre, a shopping centre I go to all the time (laughs) now. So to me, it was extremely close to home. This is a story that developed at the same time in the same city that I was growing up in. I was shocked by the amount of contemporaneous footage and photos, um, never before seen stuff. But the first thing that um, struck me that was weird is that even in this first quarter of the documentary, which is really positive, why I I just still, the first thing that struck me was like, why are these mothers and people speaking about Michael so positively? I couldn't, I still can't understand why, like now that they know all they allegedly know, why, I mean, they're gushing over him in the first quarter of the documentary as if like he's not a child molester. It's very, very, very strange. That was weird. My gut tells me that there's, a lot of truth in the documentary. There's also a lot of lies, but like Marcos Cabota said, if you want to tell a lie first, you have to tell the truth. And I really feel like there's a lot of stuff in there that could be absolutely truthful. You get drawn in massively into this world and then all of a sudden you just get hit with disgusting detail. It's sort of like a roller coaster. Even throughout the whole film, you go through 10 minutes of awesome stuff, like, yeah, let's learn about Michael in this era doing this stuff. And then let's hear about 10 minutes of Michael molesting someone. And then let's hear another 10 minutes of Michael with, you know, Lisa Marie or whatever. And then 10 minutes of molestation. So it's like up and down roller coaster. 
and then the lies are just threaded all the way throughout. There's lots and lots of copyrighted footage. I don't understand why the estate are not jumping on this. I've heard people say it's fair use. I don't believe it. The documentary is about to be released on DVD in like two weeks. I don't understand how they can sell it. There is the Brace Yourself video. There is The Way You Make Me Feel. There is Thriller. There is This Is It. There is heaps of uh, Michael Jackson footage in it that he released and, you know, in music videos. I, I don't get why the estate aren't jumping on that. Don't let fans tell you it's only a little bit here and there in it. There's lots of Michael footage all the way through it. The allegations hit you like a brick. 40 minutes and 10 seconds in, Jimmy Stavechuk says, just out of the blue in Paris, he introduced me to masturbation. And it's just so crazy. It's like everything before that is positive and you're you're into it. And it, I found myself enjoying it. I'm not going to lie. I really enjoyed that first part. And then bam, it's like out of the blue, everything changes and it's all about sexual detail. There's moments in there where Stephanie Savechuk is reminiscing over her son being in a room alone with Michael being molested, laughing on camera. <laughs> like, I that's another thing I just do not get is like how flippant Stephanie is throughout the documentary. It's just to, uh, like a sort of a joke to her <laughs> in a lot of cases, which I found really weird. Okay, so Jimmy's clearly emotionally disturbed in it. It does add to the believability. He's shaking, he's... You know, he is, well, he's either acting or he's not, but he comes across as emotionally disturbed. There's weird claims in it, like Jimmy saying they had sex in the, this is one thing that I just could not believe at all. Like Jimmy is saying that he, they had sex in the glass rooms at the back of Neverland's theatre. And they did that because it was risky and exciting and they might get caught. And there's stories about Michael allowing Jimmy to watch porn all over Neverland in different TVs and stuff whenever he wanted, which I found bizarre because I, I just can't imagine Michael would... I mean, there's employees everywhere. Why, why would he want to put himself to that level of risk? I found Stephanie's story extremely inconsistent. She claims that when she first started hanging out with Michael, he wanted to sleep in the bedroom with Jimmy and then she thought that was extremely inappropriate and wrong and would never allow it. But then later on, when she found Michael making excuses for locking doors at Neverland... And she says she thought nothing of that and there was no no issue with that. So her story is inconsistent even within the film as it goes along. Um, <clears throat> as the film goes along, there's, lot, there's less and less of these photos and video footage of Michael with them at Neverland. There's lots from the 80s, but as soon as you get into the 90s, there's barely anything, which I found fairly telling if their relationship really did go on so long for seven years or whatever it was, then where's all the footage of Wade with Michael at Neverland in the 90s? There's pretty much none. Jimmy doesn't just claim that Michael was a child molester in it. He's claiming that Michael threatens his life if if anybody ever finds out and also goes on about Michael being misogynistic, saying that he's he tells the boys that women are completely evil and all, all kinds of stuff, which is I also can't believe. I found the real horror story, honestly, in it not to be this molestation that I, I can't believe is accurate, but more the Robson family separating over Michael Jackson. The, the family's torn apart. Half of them decide to leave Australia and move to America. I, I feel like the dad's suicide is related to that, essentially. You can hear in Michael's birthday message in it to Wade how much he doesn't want the family to separate. You know, he's saying that he wants Wade to be with his mum and dad. But in the film, they try to push this narrative that Michael wanted to force the family apart and drive a wedge between them. 
there's edited audio interview in the jet with Jimmy when there's like they're having a fake interview where Jimmy's interviewing Michael Jackson. It's clearly edited to only mention Jimmy. There's one line in it in particular where Michael says something like, my favorite part of this holiday was spending time with Jimmy. And then there's a straight obvious cut in the audio where Michael probably mentioned somebody else, but it's edited to sound like Michael only says Jimmy. That is one edit that I picked up. A lot of bad acting. <laughs> throughout it in my opinion but there are times where it comes across as genuine towards the end of the film wade robson's in absolute hysterics he's crying so i don't know in certain times i found it to be a bit believable there there's parts in it that were really interesting at the very end in the last 10 minutes there's footage of michael with lots of other kids and their faces are like totally blurred out of the of the film and i couldn't figure out why that is Brett Barnes's face is not blurred out, though, and that's why he's sort of causing a big outrage at the moment, and rightly so. It's insinuated in the film that he became the victim directly after Wade Robson. The, the second part of the movie, the second half, goes at lightning pace. It's just so fast. It misses huge chunks of important time around the allegations, Michael's relationship with Lisa Marie. Michael's voice, fans will tell you that it doesn't include Michael's side of the story. That's not exactly true. Um, Michael's voice is in there a fair bit. There's a big portion of the 93 red shirt statement from Neverland where Michael's talking about the allegations. His NAACP speech is in there. The film alleges that Michael abused Wade directly after 93, which to me was absolutely ridiculous. This is a period of time that Michael was emotionally distraught and um, devoted himself completely to recording the History Album and became infatuated with Lisa Marie Presley. You can see lots of handwritten sort of love notes to her. For Michael to still want to, uh, you know, if allegedly abuse Wade Robson during that period of time, I found really unbelievable. There's other celebrities in the documentary I'm surprised haven't spoken out. There's footage of Justin Timberlake in there working in the studio with Wade Robson. And we know that Justin's relationship with Wade is completely massively deteriorated since his partner had basically an affair with him. So I'm sort of surprised he hasn't spoken out in support of Michael. Of course, Justin was close friends with Michael for for a period of time. There's a lot of footage of the Arviso time period. There's footage of Michael hanging out with the cancer-ridden Gavin Arviso at Neverland. He's wheeling him around in a wheelchair, hanging out. There's Gavin in a police video. It looks like in the video he's being absolutely controlled. He looks just like... He has no control over what he's really saying. To me, it looks like he'd been coached right before that. And I'm interested to hear, Charlie, if you've seen that footage beforehand, actually, and what you think of it. And lastly, I'll finish on this. My final thoughts on it really are that I don't understand the the, the, the story of the parents in it. I find it very inconsistent. Basically, this, the story goes that that Jimmy Savechuck told Stephanie Savechuck in 2003 to 5 that Michael was a really evil man and that he would not support Michael in the trial even though Michael had been calling him and begging him to testify and that at that point Stephanie learned that Michael Jackson was a pedophile. That's what the, the story claims. I don't understand at that point if that really happened why neither Jimmy nor Wade nor Stephanie would join in in this legal pursuit against Michael Jackson. I think that because Stephanie's talking about herself being so angry at that time period, I can't imagine why she wouldn't have called the police in that time. And I think for me, that's where the story really fell apart. 
you know, there's there's also some little inconsistencies in there where Chantel Robson says things like, we were contacted by Michael Jackson's family to go to his funeral. We know that's not the case. We know that the, the Robsons reached out to Taj to arrange that. And there is a big section right at the end as well where Dan attempts to give uh, some voice to the fans in a way that he makes people look insane. There's lots of YouTube footage in there of fans talking about Wade Robson, well-known Michael Jackson YouTubers. That hit me like a <laughs> like a brick. I didn't think that was coming. There was <laughs> there was one person who was seemed quite sane, saying, you know, their stories constantly change all the time. Their stories are changing and changing and changing. But then there's another guy with MJ memorabilia all behind him, just yelling out "F you, Wade" repeatedly. <laughs> um, so that kind of made the fans come off a little bit crazy as well. Look, in the end, I think the documentary is incredibly one sided. It does allow a voice here and there for Michael sometimes and the family, but not very often. And I think there's a lot of inconsistency as well. But it's, in my opinion, it's certainly worth a watch so people can, you know, form their own opinion about it. But it, I know it's affecting a lot of non-fans way more than fans. Annika, what were your thoughts and uh, how has it affected you? So I agree with a lot of what you've just said. Um, I think there were parts of it that that uh, came across. I can see why people would look at it and think this must have happened. Um, but there were equally a lot of parts where I felt that the or that both Wade and James were overacting it, and it came off as insincere. Um, and to me, that just put me off everything that they were saying because. If you're telling the truth, then there's no need to overact at all. You just tell the story as it happened. But when it sounds like you're trying too hard, that raises a lot of red flags. Now, my view is probably slightly sort of formed based on knowing what I know prior to leaving Neverland being shown. And, and you know, like you've said before, this has been going on for a number of years. So we've known about Wade and James and their allegations for a long time. We've known about a lot of the inconsistencies and the reasons why their stories don't add up. Um, so when when they're saying the things that they're saying, in the back of my mind, I had a lot of these things already there. Yet the mums, I just thought, came across really, really badly. You know, no matter who the person is, you wouldn't let your child sleep in some stranger's bedroom, male, female, whoever, it doesn't matter. There is no way that my children would be sleeping in a stranger's room almost hours after we've met the person. And I think that's, you know, really revealing of, of the mum's intentions. They were quite happy to befriend Michael, live his lifestyle, use him for what they could use him for and enjoy the perks of being, you know, the family that was friendly with Michael Jackson. Um, I also felt uncomfortable with the whole, um, with uh, Jimmy's mum and her sort of laughing whilst describing her son being molested it just really did not sit well with me um and the thing about uh james telling her in 2005 that michael was a bad man didn't james also then claim that he realized he was abused in 2013 when he saw wade on tv so how how does that add up um so i think overall there was a lot of inconsistencies in that um the music yes it was definitely definitely well chosen and um there were definitely too many drone shots and um, it did get a little bit repetitive and there were times also when I thought the documentary was just a bit dull and um, you know I could feel my attention slipping so I think for me it was a bit of a mixed bag. I have a quick question 
and, and either Jamin or Annika can answer this. So it's four hours of incredibly, I guess, well-told stories, great storytelling, and very graphic recollections, oh, if you will. Other than that, and maybe, you know, the, the faxes that you haven't mentioned the faxes much, like what is it that is convincing people that these guys are telling the truth? Is it people already going into this believing that Michael did these things and this is just sort of an echo chamber confirming everything they thought before? Or is there – what is it about this TV show that is convincing the viewers so so much? I think it's the graphic nature of what they're saying. I think it's the descriptions of the acts. So when people hear that Michael did this or Michael did that so graphically, I think it's probably the first time they're hearing it directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and hearing such detailed descriptions. You know, it's shocking to and you know, and and they say things like, "And I was seven years old." You know, that is awful to hear. Um, I think that's what makes people believe it. And then coming off the back of Jordan making his claims and Gavin also making his claims, now you've got Wade and James, so people feel a more inclined to believe it. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think it's a, a combination between that, the graphic nature of what's going on and the detail, because it is truly, truly detailed. These guys have spent a lot of time getting their stories down because they're describing environments and situations and you know, certain blankets being on floors of certain hidden rooms and it's so detailed. There's that. Then there's also the fact that there, I guess, is there is a lot of evidence in the film for non-molestation stuff. So there's, you know, they'll be talking about going to on tour on a jet and then there's, you know, footage of them all getting off the jet. Um, so the director has used a lot of actual evidence and footage of the non-molestation claim stuff a lot of it that people haven't seen before uh and then so then when there's the the molestation claims they use very fabricated sort of evidence like the rings or a fax or an edited voice message and then it's like oh okay well that must just be the same sort of evidence like i've been seeing seeing throughout the whole rest of the documentary but uh, so that's kind of like what marcos said when he came on the show and um, it, there's also the third element to me is the fact that Michael was a pretty strange guy <laughs> and he was sleeping in the bed and in a bedroom with children. He was doing those things and he seemed to have a pattern that even fans probably couldn't argue against that he would befriend families, the Cassios, the Arvizos, the Robsons, the Savechucks the Culkins, and he'd befriend these families seemingly for the purpose of being able to experience family life and then would make actual bonds and connections with these young children in the families and spend lots and lots of times with time with them as genuine friends, him being an adult, them being adolescents. That's not a normal thing for people to do. Michael Jackson wasn't a normal person. So when you're hearing about Michael playing video games all night and then falling asleep exhausted on a bed with the kids and then the mum's just being cool with that and then stories of Michael Jackson forcing Jimmy Safechuck to sleep on a lounge while he has a new friend 
Macaulay or whoever that he's now sleeping or going into the bedroom with and falling asleep with just makes sense to a normal average person that that's bizarre behavior. Yeah, it probably probably did have a sexual element to it. I jotted down a few points that have been raised that I can respond to. So firstly, Jamin asked about the Gavin Aviso police interview footage. That was actually very important in the trial. So after the defense case rested in the trial, the prosecution claimed that it had been so inflammatory and such an attack on the credibility of the Arvizos that they said they wanted to play Gavin's police interview to the jurors right before they were sent out to deliberate their verdicts. And the defense fought against it and said it was massively prejudicial, which it was, and the judge allowed it. Uh, But actually, that footage ended up being a key piece of evidence that the jurors all cited in their interviews post-verdicts as to how they arrived at their conclusion that Gavin was lying and that Michael was innocent. Because they said the same thing that Jamin said. Firstly, he came across as being coached. Uh, Secondly, he was laughing throughout the interview and goofing around and he didn't seem like he was in any way affected by the stuff he was describing. And thirdly, if you watched the interview in full, you can actually see the police officers are coaching him as well. Uh, The police officers keep saying things to him like, Michael Jackson is a terrible man. Michael Jackson has done terrible things to you and you're a good person. You just have to tell us about the awful things Michael's done to you and then we can put him in jail. So the police are coaching him all the way through the interview. So I'm not sure what clips they've pulled out of that interview. and I'm sure Dan Reed has probably pulled out the clips that make Gavin look uh, the most sort of vulnerable and believable. Well, if that's um, the best he's that- got, I'm telling you, it's ridiculous because the police officer <laughs> will ask a question and then there'll be 10 seconds where Gavin doesn't say anything and then a person sitting on the couch beside him, you can't see their body or face, only their arms or legs, Gavin will look at that person and then Gavin will say something and you can barely hear it. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, the the jurors came out and said that that video, the prosecution thought that was going to cement Michael's conviction and the jurors came out of their deliberations and said we didn't believe a word he was saying. Another thing, Annika raised the issue of Jimmy's story about telling his mum in 2005 but then claiming he only realized he was abused in 2013. So this emanates actually from his initial declaration in the lawsuit uh, that he filed in 2013. In his original declaration, he, within pages of each other, he tells two completely contradictory stories. So early in the de- in the declaration, he says, I told my mom I was abused in 2005. And then later in the declaration, he says, I realized I was abused in 2013 when I saw Wade Robson on the TV. Now, what he did subsequently was he filed an additional declaration in which he completely rewrote the 2005 part of the story. And he erased the word, he erased the word abuse and replaced it with, I told my mom that Michael Jackson was a bad man. And then I realized that I'd been sexually abused in 2013. Of course, issues have been raised about his story about Michael calling him towards the end of the trial, as he puts it, and saying that he wanted him to come and testify for the defense because 
in March, right at the beginning of the trial, March 2005, the judge had issued an order that all testimony regarding Jimmy Savechuck was banned from the courtroom. So he could only have been called to testify under two circumstances. The first would be as a rebuttal witness to prosecution evidence suggesting he'd been molested. That didn't happen because the judge had banned that testimony. He banned any suggestion that Jimmy Savechuck had been molested. So the only other circumstance under which Jimmy could have come and testified would be as a character witness. And Tom Mesereau had made a strategic decision not to present a character defense, because when you do that as a defense attorney, you open the door for the prosecution to then call rebuttal witnesses to testify to the the defendant's bad character. So if you mount a defense, which is this man's character is fantastic and he would never commit these offenses, then the, the prosecution then have a license to go and find anybody who Michael Jackson's ever cheesed off and pull them into the courtroom to testify about what a, a bastard he is. So, mm. you know, anybody that got sacked from their job and didn't get a redundancy pay or didn't get pension, anything like that, anybody who he signed a contract with and welched on the contract, anything like that, it would have just been a parade of disgruntled ex-business partners, employees, friends that he'd fallen out of touch with, whatever. It would have just been a horror show. So Tom Mesero made a conscious decision not to present a character defense. So there are literally no circumstances under which Michael Jackson would have been calling Jimmy Safechuck towards the end of his trial and asking him to testify. So that that doesn't make any sense. Charlie, um, on the trial, I found something really bizarre in, in the film when I, I felt going into it, the story was going to be pretty consistent around the trial that, that Wade wanted to defend Michael the whole time and was keen on defending Michael and, and, you know, going on the stand. Actually, that's not what happened in the documentary. What happened was that well, Joy claims that Wade told her in 2003 to five that he didn't want to testify in Michael's defense at all and that Wade only did it because he was having nightmares of Michael being killed in jail and that um, he didn't want to subject him and his family to scrutiny. Now, (laughs) what I find ridiculous about that is if you look at the footage and the photos of, of Wade at the trial walking out, does that look like a man who didn't want to be there? Well, no, he's, he's smiling and waving and, and doing peace signs. And um, I mean, the, he, both Safechuck and Robson may have catastrophically damaged their potential to appeal their lawsuits with this documentary because they brought these lawsuits against Michael Jackson's estate and companies, and they keep being thrown out on grounds of timeliness. And the arguments that they're making uh, effectively for to justify the fact that they filed their claims out of time is that they both said we didn't realize we'd been abused until years after Michael died. The psychological trauma was such that we couldn't comprehend what happened to us and we didn't realize that it was abusive. But what they both do in the documentary, based on on the transcripts and the clips that I'm seeing, is they both tell stories which suggest that actually they knew they'd been abused far earlier. And indeed, they've given interviews in newspapers and magazines and to TV uh, since this documentary screened at Sundance, numerous interviews where they keep telling the same story. So I was reticent about testifying. I knew he'd done it, but then I saw Paris Jackson looking really distraught and I didn't want to be responsible for taking her dad away or, oh, I, I knew he did it, but then 
you know, I was thinking his lawyers were bullying me and he said he he said he'd have me done for perjury because of my previous statements. All these stories that they're telling now directly contradict their narrative that they didn't know that they were abused until 2013 uh, or in Wade's case, 2012. So well, he, Wade um, addresses you know, that in the documentary. He actually says very clearly he he remembered being abused all the way through right up until he started getting therapy from doctor I don't even remember the doctor's name but he names him so the whole idea of Wade having repressed memories is not the case with Wade I think that more applies to Jimmy's narrative Wade saying he always did remember it happening but he just didn't want to you know he didn't label it as a abuse until then it's, yeah, that's not going to wash in court. It's I mean, <laughs> if they're, they're in the they're in the middle of an appeal now, and they both they both have, in my opinion, tanked their appeals totally because the estate now has you know a, like a giant file full of interviews that these men have given in the last six to eight weeks, where they keep contradicting their own narrative in their sworn declarations. Mm. Um, so, so, I mean, in my opinion, they've destroyed any prospect of succeeding in court. Um, the other thing that I did want to mention, you, you talked about celebrities and how you were surprised that celebrities like Justin Timberlake have not come forward, that they are not going to come forward in the current climate. In the current climate, anybody who is seen as questioning an allegation of abuse in the middle of the Me Too era, they are immediately smeared as a victim blamer, as a gaslighter, as a paedophile apologist. You saw what happened to Corey Feldman. He came out very defensive of Michael. Within 24 hours, he had to retract his comments because of the amount of abuse he was getting. You just have to look at the abuse that Brett Barnes is getting. Anybody who comes out and says, I'm not convinced by these allegations, is just absolutely bombarded with abuse and, and the most horrendous allegations that they are in some way enablers of child sex abuse or whatever. So mm. nobody feels able to come forward, I don't think. I, th I think what's more, te I think the silence in terms of not siding with Wade is more telling. You know, you would think that with the number of celebrities and huge stars that Wade has worked with over the years, that if they all believed him, you'd think they'd all be coming out and saying, oh, you know, I've known Wade for 20 years and I'm so sorry to hear this and I stand with him and he has my support. That's just not happening. There is you will, you're not seeing anybody really apart from people that don't know him like Sia. But you're not seeing any of the huge stars that he's worked with over the years coming forward to defend him. And similarly, you're not seeing even even people like his who who's his best friend i don't know who his best friend is because whoever they are they haven't come out to defend him nobody's coming out to defend this guy um nobody's coming out to say yeah wade told me 20 years ago that it happened there's nothing uh the silence is deafening and the other thing you're not seeing which i'm sure dan reed was hoping and praying for is an avalanche of new accusers uh, in fact he admitted in an interview the other day that they've only heard from one uh, new accuser, and they don't think they're genuine. I'm assuming that's uh, Jacobs Hagen. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's just been interesting to see the lack of high-profile support, particularly for Robson, who does have, or you would expect to have, huge contacts in the media and entertainment industry, that there is just nobody coming forward to say, I stand with Wade.
With what you just said, Charles, why do you think the media is pushing this TV show so hard? I think there's multiple reasons. Firstly, it's just good for clicks. You know, it's clickbait, anything with Michael Jackson. They put a misleading headline on it. They get tons of clicks. I think because the media hates Michael Jackson anyway, media has hated him for 35 years. Interestingly, by complete chance, a few weeks ago, I was in a radio studio and one of the people that worked there I was talking about Michael Jackson on the radio, and as I left, one of the people that worked at the studio stopped me and said that was so interesting to hear you putting the other side to all this Michael Jackson stuff. They said, I've got to tell you this story. I used to work at the Today newspaper, which was owned by Rupert Murdoch in the late 1980s, and I, I was in charge of their archiving, or I was one of the people that was in charge of their archiving. This was pre-digital So all the papers were laid out on plates. And then my job was to collect the pages and feed the pages, the stories, into a digital archive, which was pretty much the only part of the business that was digital at that time. And there was a story on the front page. It was 1988, and Michael Jackson was performing in the UK. And the story said that all of these fans had been really seriously injured in a terrible crush at one of his concerts. And... It was just this tiny box on the front page, and I couldn't find the story inside the paper. I thought, well, something's gone wrong here. So I spent about three hours trying to find the person that wrote the story. They eventually found the person that wrote the story. And they said to them, look, I'm trying to archive this story. And all there is is a headline on the front page with about three sentences. And then the rest of the story isn't in the paper. I can't understand what's going on. And the reporter said, yeah, that's because it didn't happen. She said, what are you talking about? And uh, he said, we have a brief from the top to rubbish Michael Jackson at every available opportunity. And if there's nothing that's actually happened that we can rubbish him with, we have to make it up. And she said she could not, she just could not believe what the guy was saying. And he didn't seem to be very impressed about it either. He was acting like he thought this was you know, terrible and and they shouldn't be doing it. But it was interesting to hear from somebody who was in the media at that time saying they worked for a massive national newspaper and they were instructed to smear Michael Jackson at every opportunity. And as fans and followers of Michael Jackson and archivists and historians of Michael Jackson, we know that to be true. We've known it to be true for decades. But it was interesting to hear somebody actually say it. And I think there is a a culture within the media of just anti-Michael Jackson sentiment, which just doesn't exist towards almost any other artist. You know, this is a a genius artist who literally changed the world. And they just all hate him. They all want to destroy him. And they all want to act like he was nothing. He, he He wasn't important. His music was crap. You know, he was just some pop star let's all talk about David Bowie instead. But, you know, this at the end of the day, this guy was a genius. He was a game-changing, world-changing genius, and yet the media is just completely obsessed with destroying him. And you just have to look at what they're doing with all the fake stories they're publishing. So maybe just over a week ago, there was a completely fictitious story 
in the sun about Michael's FBI files. Totally fictitious. And why are they doing that if it's not agenda driven? Why are they digging up completely fictitious stories? So there's no question that it's agenda driven. And, you know, uh, for instance, Joe Vogel couldn't get his second article published. Nobody would publish that article. He had to publish it himself on Medium. There is, again, I don't want to sound insane, but, you know, when multiple parties collude, that is the dictionary definition of a conspiracy. You have a whole industry which is involved in an agreement that it is not going to allow any defense of this man, even if you present a completely factually accurate assessment of the documentary, which demonstrates unequivocally that it's full of contradictions and errors, they will not publish it. And what word is there for that but conspiracy? So why is the media doing this? I I do think it's a top-down, organized agreement to destroy him. And I've thought that for many years. And that, and I say that as somebody that's worked in the media since I was a teenager. Charles, I've actually heard a very similar story from someone that I know that used to work in a very large media corporation. They would have their sort of morning meetings. And this person told me that more often than not, at some point during these, these daily meetings, someone would pipe up, so what's the Jacko story today? And everyone would laugh because... That was, you know, the the part of this meeting where they could basically say whatever they wanted with the full support of the editors and, you know, the powers that be. And something would get published in some form or another. And particularly when it was a, a quiet news day or when they wanted to cover something else up, they would use Michael um, and make up any old story um, and, and, and run with it. And you have to you have to question why what what is the ultimate aim here and you know i agree it's very much a top down thing so so who is at the top and what what's the reason well it's interesting that you mentioned covering things up because of course there are other theories floating about uh regarding you know certain other stories that have dropped out of the headlines as a, a direct result of the michael jackson story blowing up for example the harvey weinstein documentary which screened the next day at sundance and got absolutely no press whatsoever because everybody was ranting about michael jackson and for example in britain in the week that the michael jackson documentary aired there was launched in london an independent inquiry into allegations of child sex abuse at the heart of the british government the independent inquiry into child sex abuse, ICSA, um, started its Westminster strand of public hearings in the week that Leaving Neverland showed on Channel 4. And I sent out a tweet, which got quite a good response, where I said, hands up if you've seen a single story in a newspaper or on television this week about the Westminster paedophile inquiry. That it was getting no coverage. Every newspaper was covering the Jackson story and nobody was covering the Westminster Inquiry story. And the other thing that's interesting about the media's obsession with this documentary is that there is no evidence that it is actually driven by audience or by public sentiment. Because if you look at the viewing figures for the documentary, it's tanked everywhere. 
in the UK, it got 2 million viewers, right? Now, 2 million viewers in the UK is not great. And it's especially not great for a TV show which has been hyped in the newspapers every single day for four to six weeks. I mean, the amount of hype every single day, there were stories about this documentary online and all over the tabloids and even on TV, on the radio, you were being bombarded with it every single day and still they scraped two million viewers, which is rubbish really. And then you look across Europe, it showed in Spain, it didn't even make the top 20 shows of the day, I don't think, it's just tanked in France. In the Netherlands, it didn't even make the top 10 TV programs of the day when it aired. It's not done well. It's not done well ratings-wise. And so it makes you wonder if if the public is not really buying it and the public is not really interested, why is the media so obsessed with pushing it? And that, again, leads you to suspect through a process of elimination that it is agenda-driven. Yeah. 
disrespectable. Damn disrespectable. Damn disrespectable. Damn disrespectable. She's bisexual. She's bisexual. Disrespectable. 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 Hi, this is Scott Ross, lead investigator on the Michael Jackson trial, and you are listening to the MJ cast. Thank you for listening. So there's been pretty swift aftermath, really, not only in the media, but there's a lot of corporations that there has been some evidence that they have uh, muted Michael Jackson using the popular term, I guess. There's been some radio stations here in Australia and New Zealand and I think Canada and maybe you can answer over in the UK. There were reports that BBC Two had stopped playing Michael Jackson, but then there were people saying, well, I just heard him playing on it today. So not sure how accurate that is, but we've seen a tweet from Starbucks saying that they have stopped playing his music. Cotton on Clothing here in Australia, who had that great affordable range of uh, Michael Jackson T-shirts that seemingly just kept expanding and expanding. Every couple of weeks, there'd be like people in the Facebook groups going, oh, there's new T-shirts at Cotton on. They've been instructed by the head office to pull the stock and keep it quarantined, um, maybe even send it back to head office. I'm not really sure, but there's been an email in our Australia group showing that was a sort of a response that they'd had. We saw the Happy Birthday Lisa episode on The Simpsons has been pulled from digital distribution. And then some absolutely insane story that I think, I don't know, was it a producer of the of the episode or someone saying that that was a whole grooming thing from Michael Jackson? He didn't even write the episode. 
and they begged him to go on the episode, I believe. So it's just the stories coming out are ridiculous. And Q as well, I've seen, um, I don't know how true it is, but there was a report online um, that McDonald's have released a statement saying they're considering removing the history statue from the best McDonald's in the Netherlands. And we know that uh, Louis Vuitton have also removed any Michael Jackson-related clothing from their Virgil Abloh Michael Jackson line. There's a children's museum in Indianapolis or somewhere like that, which has uh, removed some exhibits uh, from its, its displays. I think it was described as the biggest children's museum in America. I don't know how true that is. There you go. So it is happening. I think the owners of the the best McDonald's in the Netherlands, where I got to see the statue last year, they've clarified and said they are not removing the statue at this point. Good. So we'll see how it goes. I think there's still a lot more to come. I think this is very early days still. What about the estate? What is the Michael Jackson estate actually doing right now to combat this? They filed a lawsuit. Didn't prevent it from going ahead. Like the the screening still happened everywhere. Who knows what they're doing? I've got to say I've been very disappointed with the estate in terms of the rebuttal. I mean, the letter that it sent to HBO was very good. The letter it sent to Channel 4 was very good. But what you're doing when you send those letters, which were very long, is you're trying to combat a passive media with an active media. So TV is a passive media. You switch it on, sit down in front of it, and the TV does all the work. Whereas with something that's written, when you're saying to somebody, oh, well, you know, before you watch that TV show, why don't you just read this 5,000-word letter People are not going to do that, right? So the the best way to combat broadcast is with broadcast. And what the estate did was it basically left everything down to Taj Jackson, who did a very good job. But the estate has lawyers who have been litigating with Robson and Safechuck since 2012. They know this case inside out and backwards. They could make absolute mincemeat of anybody who tries to question them about this case, and they can very, very easily discredit these guys. And these lawyers did one interview during the whole two months of complete carnage that we've witnessed. These lawyers have done one interview that is so remiss to have the experts who could completely decimate these guys do a single interview and then push Taj Jackson out to do the rest of the work, to do the rest of the heavy lifting, it's just nuts. It's just completely nuts. So in that sense, I think the estate has dropped the ball. In terms of a legal response to the documentary, they are absolutely hamstrung by the libel laws. The libel laws in almost every country in the world say that you can't defame a dead person. So The estate has no recourse. They could literally accuse Michael Jackson of murdering children. Dan Reed could accuse him of murdering children and drinking their blood. The estate can do nothing. It can do absolutely nothing because Michael Jackson's dead and he's not protected. So in terms of a legal response, their hands are tied behind their back. They can't do anything. But in terms of the media response, I do think they've dropped the ball. Taj Jackson is great. 
I know Taj, and he did a good job, but he doesn't know the case inside out and backwards like the lawyers do, and the lawyers should have been put forward a lot more prominently in my view. Yeah. Okay. Great thoughts. Thank you, Charlie. Um, and so we we do have Taj and the family still, you know, being quite active in what they're doing. Taj still has a GoFundMe campaign out there to raise money for him to make a counter documentary. Annika, what are your thoughts about this counter documentary or docu series that hopefully will be coming, and how important that will be to the narrative around the story? I really, really hope it gets made. Um. I think the key thing is that it gets made soon because in six months' time, in a year's time, this will, to a large extent, have been forgotten and it won't have the same impact as it would if they come out with something now. I think the estate, the family, um, the fans even, the response needs to be hard-hitting and it needs to be now. Um, I'm not quite sure why the estate can't fund this documentary Um you know, Taj, Taj is doing a great job um, with all his interviews and things. And, you know, he's he's working hard to raise the funds. But, you know, the estate of Michael Jackson is a billion dollar industry almost in its in its own right. Um, why they can't fund this or, you know, I heard something about uh, wanting the documentary to be independent. Um, why can't they at least loan Taj the money? He can then continue to raise it and pay it back but it gets it out there now. That strikes me as really odd. It strikes me as not good enough, really, from the estate. Um, their response to all this has been not as strong as I would like to see. Um, you know, and I agree that we had a TV show versus a couple of letters that have gone out. And, you know, in the context of the number of people that watch the TV show, only a handful would have even seen the letters sent out by the estate. So as far as the general public are concerned, they probably haven't heard a lot of defence other than the fans and the family. Yeah, it can get a little bit exhausting, isn't it? I know I'm having a lot of conversations with people. Um, interestingly, not apart from my wife, not adults. It's mainly children in the classroom. I got hit in two separate occasions in the two days after the movie came out or whatever it is, the TV show. And um, in two lessons I taught, nearly all of my kids wouldn't let me teach the lesson that I had planned. They were like, we need to talk about this documentary. You need to tell us about it. And it was so confronting because, yeah, sure, half the classroom were listening and interested in the facts, but there was the other half, like we're seeing on the wider scale, who were just like, no, he's a pedophile. Why are you defending him? And it's so difficult to not be able to point to something like a docu-series where we can say, you know what, I could sit here for 40 minutes and tell you all these facts and exhaust myself. Or here, just take this YouTube link or Netflix link and watch watch this. I wish we had that. Which is why I'm so surprised that, like, I think it's less than 3,000 fans out there have contributed to this documentary. It just boggles my mind how... Yes, it's not the ideal situation with this docu-series getting made. Like it maybe should be com someone completely independent and, you know, well-funded and all that kind of thing. But the reality is that's not what's happening and that that's not going to happen. The reality is it's Taj out there trying to do this. And he's been so busy. He's been on so many radio interviews, TV interviews, podcasts around the place. So his time has been busy, like even just out there publicly trying to defend his uncle. 
pre-production may have started on this docu-series he's going to do, but that won't be happening for quite a while, I'm sure. I do not expect it anytime soon because if it's going to be a series instead of just one off documentary film, that's even like a million times more work than just one film. So I don't see that happening anytime soon. And yeah, I think that in some ways the the figure he picked was more symbolic. It has the triple seven in it. And, but I think that sort of putting people off like, Oh, well, he's never going to get to it. So why would I contribute to it? But like every dollar counts, every dollar will help him get this out quicker and less than 3,000 people have contributed. I think, though, there might also be some concern as to whether this will actually see the light of day. I think there have been, you know, a few projects that have been spoken of over the years that, that don't end up happening and people aren't sure if they donate. What happens if something, if this docuseries doesn't get made? What happens to their money? Do they get it back? You know, if you think about fans, you know, as a group, a lot of them aren't particularly well off. You know, they work hard to give their money to things like this, they're very willing to give their money to MJ related causes and support Michael in whatever way they can. But, you know, I think a lot of them are concerned. Will this documentary actually get made? Yeah, I agree. That's a, that is a big concern. Now, if the documentary or docuseries does go ahead and get made, what do we want from it? Because I have concerns that if they make it on the fly, that all it's going to be is talking heads like, Macaulay Culkin and Brett Barnes saying nothing ever happened. What I think really needs to happen is the whole narrative from the Chandler allegation onwards be laid out with all the evidence. Someone like Charlie and you know needs to work with Taj to get this narrative down on paper to script it out and then to go and and actually, you know, discuss the actual evidence, not just talking heads all the time. That's going to take a long time to get something like that to happen. That's not a three-week process. That's years, like you've said, Q. Also money. Like, that's Mm. also going to be money. You know, you can't expect people to not work their day jobs and contribute to something like this and not be paid for it. Like, that's not how the world operates. Like, I'm not going to go and do my job for, you know, for free for three weeks because they asked me too nicely. So this is another reason, like, I think people need to contribute and like share so other people know about it. There's other fans out there that might not even know about it because no one's told them about it. Do you guys ever feel like, sure, the fans are doing a great job and there's the Innocent campaign and there's all kinds of different campaigns happening all over the place. Do you ever feel like, sure, it's important to do, but there'll never be a real change in public mind share around this until there's something really big that's beyond what we're capable of doing? Yeah, for sure. What Taj is proposing has the potential to do that, although it will depend what kind of platform he's able to get it on. Will he be able to get it onto Netflix or will Michael have been sort of cancelled to such an extent by then that they won't touch it? That's a concern with all radio stations taking his music off the air and so on and so forth, will he be able to find a reputable outlet to distribute this documentary? That's my biggest concern beyond the funding, is that he's going to make it and then nobody will show it. In the same way that you have journalists right now who are completely capable of taking apart the Robson and Safechuck 
allegations and uh, demonstrating the many inconsistencies. And prior to them, there were journalists who were able to deconstruct Arviso. And prior to them, there were journalists who were able to deconstruct Chandler, but they've never been given a platform. You know, I, I wrote myself personally about my dealings with The Sun when Evan Chandler committed suicide. I'd been working with The Sun for, I don't know, maybe a year, something like that, on regular Michael Jackson stories. I've been, you know, on updates on This Is It rehearsals and various things. And then um, and then when Evan Chandler killed himself, The Sun contacted me and said, we need you to send over some information about the 93 allegations right now because Evan Chandler's killed himself. I said, great. Immediately wrote them a whole long research document saying these are these are all the myths that the media always says. They're all wrong. Here are the court documents that prove that they're wrong. Here's the truth. Here's the court documents that prove that this is the truth. This is going to be great. I'm so glad you've contacted me because for once a mainstream publication is going to get it right. And then I see the story the next day and they just totally ignored everything I gave them, completely and utterly ignored it. Um, I uh, emailed them and said, you've got it all wrong. Why did you contact me? I sent you all the facts and you ignored it. They ignored that as well. As I say, it is top down, in my opinion. And so my primary concern with the documentary series is who is going to distribute it for him. If Netflix won't put it up and Amazon Prime won't put it up, he's completely screwed. That is a big concern for me. and I don't know how we get around this kind of top-down refusal to tell the truth about these allegations. So we're looking out to the future now. We're talking a bit more about the future. And I've got to say I'm a little concerned because, you know, I think, I think personally, this is just my gut feeling, but things seem to be in the last week or so starting to there's – there's less chat about it a little bit. There's less reports. But – I think this is only a temporary lull. I, I feel like seven months, eight months, a year out, we you know we potentially could be looking at another Dan Reed documentary with different people that are willing to jump on the bandwagon with him. I think if the Michael Jackson name survives this in the public, it's by the skin of its teeth and it only is going to take one more thing like leaving, leaving Neverland for there to be a total ban everywhere. And I'm really worried. <laughs> and I don't know if that feeling, I was talking to you the other night, Q on the phone. And I just, we were talking yeah, about yeah. like, I, I just really, I don't think this feeling that we've got right now of dread and waiting for something else to happen. I don't think that's going to go away until something bigger and better comes along to counter it. Oh, for sure. And which is why, you know, the Taj thing, I think is, you know, it's not the most ideal situation, but it's the best possible thing we've got going and it needs to happen sooner rather than later, whether it does or not, who can say, yeah, the exhaustion, the fatigue, it's like so fatiguing for all of us. And I think actually that that is going to be something that we become complacent. We're just so exhausted. We're so fatigued that that's when something else they'll go great. You know, they're all tired. No one's sort of fighting back as vocally anymore. Here's the next thing. Here's the next accuser. Like I heard rumors that they're going to have some J-Kid guy that met Michael at a 
think it was a Dutch meet and greet thing and maybe he went to Neverland. You know, he's going to be the next accuser. I, th- I thought maybe that was going to be unveiled at the France sort of screening. So I haven't heard if that happened or not. I th- probably would have heard if it had happened. But, you know, we've got the Michael Jacob Shagan hoax guy that I think is so just not credible at all that maybe people are not even going to touch him. But my my feeling is in the future that Dan or someone else will come out with new accusers or like I think it was five years ago on the five-year anniversary of Michael's passing, the radar online forged document scandal. I think that that is a real possibility that someone will try and put some forged evidence out there which, sure, we can disprove, but it doesn't matter because they can put anything out there and people will believe anything. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you know what? Maybe that this is not going to be good for Michael in our lifetime. Maybe it will be past all of our lifetimes that people will look back and go, what the hell happened? What did you do that for? It was so clear. Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you crucify this man for lack of a better term? It might not happen when we're alive. Like, doesn't mean we have to give up and not do our best now. But I don't know. It's exhausting. Well, that's what Sam Habib was saying when I was talking to him a while ago. He, and in fact, he said it to me and Taj. I was out with him and Taj a few weeks ago, and Taj was very down, as you can imagine. And Sam said, "Listen, history is long." He said, "You know." He's Michael always took inspiration from the story of Jack Johnson, the boxer, who was absolutely crucified in his lifetime on the basis of nothing, just because he was black and successful. That was it. They called him a rapist. They called him so many disgusting things. They totally destroyed his life. They took all his money, forced him into exile, and he died, you know, as as a kind of a shadow of of what he should have been. But today, he's celebrated, and his story has been properly told in the book Unforgivable Blackness, and and history has kind of been corrected. And of all people, bizarrely, of all the people, Donald Trump is talking about pardoning him posthumously. You just don't know what's going to happen and how long it's going to take. It was interesting that you said... um, until something big happens, this is never going to go away. The sense of dread and always waiting for the next thing to happen is never going to go away. I mean, for me, it has never gone away. I remember watching Living with Michael Jackson in 2003, and it wasn't far in before I thought, I can see what's coming here. I can see the, the next few months, what's coming. And then we had the trial and then after the trial, it was, you know, what's going to happen next? Then he died and then fake songs. There's always something around the corner to come and piss on a Michael Jackson fan's parade. And <laughs> that's probably why only 3,000 odd people have donated to the campaign. I've seen the fan base shrink. You know, I've seen it. I saw it shrink after the trial and I've seen it shrink again Uh, several times over the years you know it is shrinking and it's interesting because the the fans that are left 
you know, I, I just I love Michael Jackson fans. You know, there's some exceptions, but um, <laughs> I love Michael Jackson fans because the ones that stay, you know, that they are firstly principled. Because you have to be principled in this climate with what's going on with leaving Neverland right now, for example, to stand up and say, this is bullshit and I'm going to stand against the tide and I'm going to speak up for what's right when everybody else is condemning him. That's a principled thing to do. So you know you're dealing with a principled person and you also know you're dealing with somebody who's intelligent. You're dealing with a critical thinker because the kind of the the base response to these Michael Jackson allegations is usually some source of like dullard comment, comment like uh, there's no smoke without fire. You know what I mean? It's just like thicko rubbish. And so, you know, when you're dealing with Michael Jackson fans, that you're dealing with people who are able to look beyond the obvious to seek and examine evidence and draw a logical conclusion based on evidence. And, I love the community for that. And I, I think we're a, an intelligent community because of that. And I honestly think that a lot of the kind of the downfall of leaving Neverland, which really has not performed as well as they thought it would in terms of either viewing figures or response in terms of cancelling, is down to Michael Jackson fans who have been able to very cleverly and critically not only assess the documentary, but get the message out there through social media about all of the inconsistencies and the problems and the the lies. You know, nobody nobody is talking in the media. Nobody. I've seen literally nobody in the media say that Wade Robson is a perjurer. Wade Robson is perjurer. In his initial creditor's claim to the estate before Jimmy Savechuck arrived in his very first creditors claim he said i didn't know the michael jackson estate existed until 2013 and that's why i filed my claim late and he'd actually been in negotiations with the michael jackson estate for two years trying to get a job from them so he is a perjurer and nobody will tell you he's a perjurer and nobody in the public would know that he was a perjurer but for the fact that michael's fans have taken this forward they've got the court documents they've got the evidence you know and that's the great thing about Michael's fans. They, they're armed with the evidence, and that makes them effective. And in my opinion, we've been more effective than the estate, significantly more effective than the estate with this issue. But I do agree that if something else was to happen, it would be almost – I mean, I thought this was the end game, to be honest. I, when As soon as I heard this documentary was screening, I thought, oh, my God. Michael Jackson is over. That's it. He is never going to be played on the radio again. It would become such a faux pas to defend him in public that it would be like a, almost like committing a crime. But it's really not happened. A handful of radio stations have taken him off the air. Some of them took him off the air. And the public response was so negative, they put him back on again. He's winning all the opinion polls. If you look around Twitter and Facebook, there's opinion polls running from media organizations. He's winning them all. If you look at the viewing figures, the viewing figures have been crap. If you looked at the live tweeting during the British broadcast, the number of non-fans who were saying, don't believe it, don't not buying it, have you, I've been reading about the evidence, it was significant. You know, it was like a 50-50 split. This has not been as devastating as I was anticipating it would be. 
And I think that's in large part down to the fans, which is a shame but it, that it's been left to the fans. But, it, it, I, you know, I think the fans have been very effective. But if something else did come along, I think we would be in serious trouble. But I think Dan Reed did give an interview literally about three days ago where he said, we've received one message from somebody who says they're a victim, but we don't believe them. Why not? They said they were. Isn't that all the evidence he needs? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, you know what was great was when he started, I did this New Zealand thing a couple of weeks ago, and then he popped up on the same show the next day, which was a bit coincidental. I had been on there saying, you know, about the Me Too movement and how if you're going to do a forensic investigative journalism piece like Ronan Farrow did with Harvey Weinstein, then that's different than just filming someone making an allegation and putting it on TV. And uh, the first words out of Dan Reed's mouth when he did the rebuttal on the same station was, this is a forensically researched documentary. <laughs> you know, and this is a guy that's been all over TV saying, number one, these guys have no inconsistencies in their stories. And number two, they have no financial motive at all for telling these stories. I mean, this guy doesn't, he doesn't even know the basics. He keeps describing the Jackson estate as the Jackson family. I mean, he gets his facts completely wrong. <laughs> um, you know, to, to claim that he's done a forensic research job is just so ludicrous. And that's why he can't withstand the fan scrutiny. And it's interesting that with the whole media on his side, he still has not won the battle. But I do fear that without proper and properly funded intervention, we may lose the war, at least for our lifetime. We just have to wait and see what happens. But I don't think there is going to be another accuser come forward. I just don't think there is. Why would they not have come forward and joined the lawsuit? Or why would they not have come forward six weeks ago? I don't I don't think it's going to happen. That's a good point. You look at cases like Weinstein and what's his name, um, Cosby, and how many people you know, joined in with those suits. It's got up to, I think Harvey Weinstein seems like near 80 or something individuals. Yeah, and, and there's Jimmy Savile, you know, into the hundreds. Yeah, yeah. And with Michael Jackson, we got two. Two. Okay. Well, well yeah, I mean, those those two, and then we got Jacobs Hagen, who then... He um, hasn't joined the lawsuit. The, no, and then, and, then, um, and then messaged a fan via direct message and said, no, I never said Michael did anything wrong. The newspapers made it all up. And then went on to another TV show and repeated the story again. So he's he's just a total lunatic. Yeah. So, and he's obviously getting paid. But I, I just don't see it. I don't see another accuser coming forward. I don't think it's going to happen. Don't jinx it, Charlie. Well, <laughs> I'm touching wood as we speak, touching <laughs> my table. So I think we're safe. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, who knows? I just hope that this thing can come together. Taj's thing can can be put together quickly and effectively. I know that the from my discussions with him that the reason he needs the funding is is twofold. Firstly, he needs to hire staff. As as Q was saying, people are going, oh, why is it going to cost so much? Well, you need a writer, you need an editor, you need lighting people, you need sound experts, you need editors. You can't just do this whole thing on your own. It would take 10 years. So you need a team and you can't expect people to work for free. You have to hire people to do that. And then you have all the expenses. Brett Barnes lives in Australia. You know, you can't, he needs to, somebody needs to fly somewhere for that interview to get done. So, you know, this is going to be an expensive undertaking. 
And, and if fans are wondering what the money is for, that's what it's for. He needs to hire a team of people that can make this happen. You can't expect Taj to make the whole thing in his bedroom. So um, I just would urge fans to get behind it because I think I, I just don't see anybody else ever doing it. Um, yeah. I think the whole subject is too toxic at the moment. So, and, and probably will always be too toxic. And the only people that are going to make it happen in the same way that the only people that were able to effectively counter everything that's happened since January is the fans. Did you ask or did Taj mention about the low numbers that the GoFundMe has received? No, he actually seemed quite happy with the response so far. You know, it is a lot of money that he's raised. It's not his. Yeah, it it's is. not what he's yeah. asking for. I mean, it is a lot of money, but it's not going to cover the, the making of a a large a documentary series. You know, you're going to need more money than he's raised. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes or if he's looking for other funders, but I just would urge fans to get behind it uh, because I think it's the only way it's ever going to happen. Well, I mean, the latest statement from the estate, the one that only came out a couple of days ago, they're releasing them pretty frequently these days, but their latest one talks about them definitely being involved behind the scenes with um, actions that will counter this documentary that they're not willing to make public. So who knows? Hopefully there's some truth to that, but... Maybe it would just be, hey guys, instead of watching the documentary, why don't you watch this concert instead, which was just absolutely demented. You know, I mean, some of what they've done has been good. The letters were good, but some of <laughs> some of what they've been doing has just been utterly nuts. That whole thing with everybody watch a concert instead was just lunacy. I, I trust Harge more than them at the moment. Well, I always have. Annika, you are um, one of a group of people who are involved in the Innocent campaign. We've seen amazing advertisements on buses, on big billboards in city centres, uh, you know, getting the truth out there, linking to a website with the facts on it. Now, that's been shut down in London, hasn't it? Talk to us about why it got shut down and, and what's happening around that. So. The adverts drew a lot of controversy. One particular charity complained about it to TfL, um, Transport for London, and also to the Mayor of London. Um, TfL then decided that they would take down the ads um, and uh, didn't bother to tell us before announcing it on social media, nor did they bother to tell our agent at the advertising company um, who was assuring us almost as TfL were tweeting about it, that, no, this is completely wrong. The buses are fine. So that was quite interesting. Since then, we have been working very hard to try and get TfL to, one, really explain their decision because it's really a violation of free speech and it also undermines the presumption of innocent until proven guilty because Michael might be accused of something, but the law in this country certainly states that just because you're accused of something, it doesn't mean that you're guilty of that crime. That's why we have due process. That's why we have the criminal justice system. It's to ensure that both the accuser and the accused are given a fair hearing. Um, and TfL being, you know, a public body and the mayor of London being, you know, a public official, they should be promoting the rule of law, not undermining it. So what has happened is that one of the members of the London Assembly 
feels very strongly that what the action that's been taken is wrong and that the standards that TfL and the mayor have quoted um, in terms of the reasoning behind removing the adverts is not being applied fairly. And the mayor of London was required to report on this at the London Assembly, which took place uh, Thursday morning. That's available on YouTube now, the um, mayor's response to the questions. He didn't respond adequately, but has promised as, as part of that report to write a letter to the assembly member that raised the questions, explaining in more detail. Subsequent to that, I spoke to that particular assembly member and he told me that if we had any specific questions for the mayor that we wanted answered, to email them across to him and he would put them to the mayor. I have done that and I'm hoping that we receive a response soon uh, outlining the reasons uh, that this happened and sort of answering our questions, particularly around free speech and the presumption of innocence. Well, it's a disgrace. It's a complete and utter disgrace, as Annika's saying. We have due process in the UK. You are presumed innocent until you are proven guilty and convicted. There is no proper evidence to support these allegations. Michael Jackson is entitled to be defended. Uh, the proper response from TfL would have been to tell that charity to do their own fundraising campaign and buy their own adverts if they're not happy and take out counter-advertising. This was an extremely small group of militant campaigners who have a pre-existing relationship with the director of the TV show, Dan Reed. They were and invited... And with the mayor. That's, that's also been rumoured that somebody connected to this group of campaigners has a link to the mayor. But certainly we know that, that they were given priority access to a, a free preview screening of the documentary where they received hospitality, where Dan Reed was in attendance. So these are not impartial people. These are people with a vested interest who have a relationship with the director. There are not many of them. As I said, they're an extremely small militant group. They're basically internet trolls. They've been actively seeking out and trolling Michael Jackson fans on social media. Uh, with abusive comments, is completely wrong to allow a handful of very loud militant people to effectively shut down public debate and censor factual information. There was nothing about the adverts or the content on the website that was not factual. It was all factual. It was all fact-checked. I helped to fact-check it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there, there's simply no justification for it. When the adverts went up, this group was already complaining. And TfL confirmed at that time that the adverts were completely compliant with all of the rules. Now, if the adverts were compliant when they went up, how can they be non-compliant a couple of weeks later when the same complaints are being received from the same people? Something is amiss here. This is not a sound decision. It's a cowardly decision. This is what a lot of the um, counterattack to to the factual response to this documentary is based on emotion. It's all about emotion versus fact. And it's a bit like this debate that we've been having about my truth versus the truth. And, you know, what, what you have is people who, who claim that by telling the truth, you are somehow re-victimizing genuine abuse victims or you are an enemy of abuse victims. I personally currently leading and have been leading for four years an enormous 
investigation into historic child sex abuse. It's a multi-award winning investigation. I deal with victims literally every single week of child sexual abuse. The idea that I'm somehow a paedophile apologist or that I'm uh, re-victimizing victims by telling the truth is ludicrous. And in fact, I've been dealing with victims, genuine victims, documented victims who have made consistent complaints for decades. I have been dealing with them very recently, and some of them watched this documentary, and I've not spoken to one of them who believed it, and I've not spoken to one of them who supported it. They all think it's a crock of shit, every genuine victim I've spoken to. So it's emotional blackmail. They, they don't have the facts on their side, so they use emotional blackmail to try to force these things to happen by saying, if you allow these adverts, then you'll upset genuine abuse victims. You're, you're stopping genuine abuse victims from coming forward. You, ca you can't use that as the justification for censoring factual information, and particularly not factual information, which has already been deemed compliant by the agency in charge. Um, and by the Advertising Standards Authority as well. They, they checked that the advert was compliant with the CAP code. Yeah, it, it was it was totally compliant. There was nothing wrong with it. If there was, it wouldn't have gone up. This is a cowardly political decision. It's a disgraceful decision. It's an indefensible decision, which is why when you ask for a justification, they won't give you one. I asked them for a justification. And all they said was we took them down due to the public sensitivity. That's just a, a vague, meaningless bullshit phrase. It doesn't mean anything. They, they cannot and will not justify what they've done because it is unjustifiable. So I, I await the response to the London Assembly members' questions with interest because uh, I really want to see how uh, Sadiq Khan is going to justify what he's done um, because, in my opinion, it, it is simply not justifiable. I don't know if it's Sadiq Khan that's done it, but but certainly he's the spokesman. He's the person that's going to be responding to these questions. So, And he has defended the decision to take them down. Um, he also appeared to lie during the, I don't know if you saw it, Charles, the questions put to him, but he also appeared to lie at one stage. He was asked if he knew about this before the decision to take the adverts down was made and he said no but he was questioned about it by ITV News before yeah, the decision that. to take yeah. them down yes um, yeah that's so that's a dishonest yeah I mean I, I think he's lying because he you know he knows he can't it's indefensible what they've done is indefensible and um they should as Annika said these are public officials public bodies and they have a duty to uphold the law of the land, and they're not doing that. They're not even sticking to their own rules, let alone sticking to the law. And it's the same with various organisations that have, you know, uh, like the Simpsons, absolutely cowardly decision, and the radio stations that have taken him off the air, they're cowards. It's cowardly. You know, they're, they're destroying, they're joining in the lynching of somebody who can't defend themselves on the basis of no evidence. There is no evidence to support these allegations. They're just joining in with a political movement because they're afraid of being accused of going against the political movement. It's like McCarthyism. It's like a modern day McCarthyism. The Me Too movement is McCarthyism for 2019. You can't be seen to go against the Me Too movement because the ramifications 
are too bad, the ramifications of being accused of being a paedophile sympathiser, of being accused of being a victim blamer, of gaslighting victims. It's so toxic. It's so damaging to be accused of that, that people would just go along with any allegation, no matter how flimsy, because they don't want to be seen to be questioning or undermining victims. And it's just completely cowardly. All the while ignoring victims of false allegations who are just as much victims as genuine victims of sexual abuse, albeit in a different way. But their lives are destroyed by false allegations. You know, the number of teachers who have been found innocent of crimes that cannot be employed again as teachers or politicians that have been accused falsely of crimes. These things really do destroy lives. Oh, they, yeah, they absolutely destroyed. Well, they destroyed Michael's life. You know, I, I truly believe his death was a direct consequence of what he was put through in 2005. I agree. <clears throat> and, and yeah, I mean, you know, just I mentioned it on the show probably 20 times over the last few years, but there's a book called No Crueler Tyrannies by Dorothy Rabinowitz. And it's a book that is all about people whose lives have been destroyed by false abuse allegations. And she has a prologue at the beginning of the book where she says, people who defend somebody somebody who's been falsely accused of child abuse are subjected to a scrutiny that nobody else who defends somebody who's convicted of another crime or accused of another crime would face. If you say, I believe somebody is innocent of a murder that they've been convicted of, you don't get people saying that you're denying that murder is a serious crime or that you're attacking murder victims. It's, it's just it's quite unique to sex cases and in particular child abuse. It's a, a phenomenon which existed when she wrote the book, which I think was in the 1990s and it still exists today, even though there is a very easily researchable history of false allegations. You can go back to the McMartin case, you can go to the Dale Akiki case, you can go to the Outro trial in France where numerous men were falsely accused and turned out to be completely innocent. You can even look more recently to elements of the Westminster VIP paedophile ring story, which was circulated, which has turned out to be complete nutty rubbish. You know, there's a long history of people being subjected to false allegations, often by multiple accusers who tell extremely detailed stories. People keep pointing to the detail of these accusers as though that's uh, some sort of smoking gun. Look at the McMartin case. Look at the Dale Akiki case. Look at the Utro case. This, this is not some sort of smoking gun. The allegations are detailed. Of course they're detailed. They've had years to think them up. The detail that they give in the TV show is certainly not in the uh, statements that they provided when they first filed their lawsuits. You know, so that there is a long history of people being subjected to false allegations. It totally destroys their lives. And the establishment, the media and the political establishment are there to scrutinize, investigate and to stand up for the truth, not to pile in on somebody as soon as an allegation is made but to try and save their own skin in a very cowardly, pathetic, sniveling way, which is what's happened with these allegations and this documentary. Maybe, Annika, you could come back on when you get the response from the uh, from the mayor to the London Assembly member, because I think sure. that's going to be very, very interesting. How is the mayor going to answer these questions 
because he's in a really sticky position now because he, he can either, he, I mean, he, the questions include sort of, you know, do you believe in the principle of innocent until proven guilty? And if he does, if he's, if he can't say he doesn't, he cannot say that he doesn't because it would be political suicide. But at the same time, if he does, how is he going to defend what's happened with his adverts? So he is completely screwed now and he should have had the backbone to, to just leave the adverts up in the first place. It's just a disgrace and a disaster for his reputation, I think. And this is why we have Charlie Thompson on our episodes. Wow. Thank you, Charles. You're so incredible to listen to. You know what I love about Charles? It's just truth bomb after truth bomb. And it's like <laughs> he'll drop a truth bomb and I'll be processing that one and he just keeps talking and there's another yeah. one. Just <laughs> I can't keep up. Even if I was taking notes, like there was something he did say before, like, and I literally have completely forgotten what it was, but it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to mention that and expand on that. And by the time I'd reached for a pen, I was, he's onto something else that had completely just captivated me. And I was like, now I have literally no idea what it was. So when I listened back to the episode, I go, God damn it. I'll just have to talk to my car speakers like I do <laughs> when I listen to other podcasts. <laughs> um, by the way. If you can't yes. be bothered to read Dorothy's book, they did make a film about the Outro case, which is called Presume Coupable. So if you can keep up with subtitles, Presume Coupable means presumed guilty. That was made in 2011. So look that up. It's an absolutely devastating film based on the true story of these guys who were falsely accused. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just absolutely gut-wrenching. Brilliant insight into the mind and the the consequences of a falsely accused person. Well, um, I want to say thank you to Annika and to Charles for staying up till God knows what horrendous early hours morning it is over there. But it's been so worthwhile having this discussion and hearing your points of view and your opinions as well as more facts and stuff that's happening. So thank you on behalf of me and the listeners all right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, and I hope your baby slept well. She did. She's just waking up now, so good timing. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you've probably got feeding or something that you need to do for the little one. Uh, so if you'd like, we can let you go now, and you can do your, your duties there and, and try and get some rest when you get a chance, because I can't imagine it would be easy. Yeah, that would be great. All right. Well, thank you again. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again in the future, and we wish you and and Shawnee and the rest of the team all the best as well. Thank you. We'll keep you posted with any uh, any new campaigns that we uh, get off the ground. And Charles, as always, thank you so much for joining oh, us and for all that you do, and for the incredible interviews that you've been doing all around the world. You mentioned New Zealand. There was a number in Australia, and the BBC ones that we've got up on our YouTube page. Yeah, you've been doing incredible stuff online and as well as your incredibly important day job as well. So thank you so much and we'll uh, talk to you soon and we'll have you back when we get to – we're not going to make all of season five about this goddamn TV show, by the way, listeners, because we are over it. We're definitely not going to make a season five just about this. But when we uh, need to, we have Charles and his friends. So thank you very much. All right, thanks for having me. Have a good sleep, guys. See you. See you later.
Thanks, This is Jonathan Sugarfoot Moffat, drummer for Michael Jackson and the Jacksons, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Well, folks, Charles and Annika have uh, headed off to bed. It is in the dead of night over there in the UK, and we thank them for their time, and we hope you enjoyed their discussion. You came for the discussion. Why don't you stay for the news and some more 
entertaining stuff that we've got still to come in this show. Jamin has chosen all of the music in this episode, folks. It wasn't me, which I know you will be very shocked to hear <laughs> after hearing some of his music choices. You would say, hell yeah, that's a cute choice for sure. But no, Jamin actually came with all of these songs. That was Michael Trapson, Fuck Wade. <laughs> there you go. He's been putting some uh, big stuff up on his YouTube channel lately as well. Um, yeah. That was our first music break. So we're going to head into the news now, and then we're going to hear from uh, our correspondents throughout as well. I'll take the first news story. Jamin, there was the Michael Jackson musical Don't Stop Till You Get Enough to premiere in Chicago before hitting at Broadway. Or not the Chicago run has been cancelled, which was very interesting. We have linked in the show notes the Chicago Tribune article about why did the new Michael Jackson musical cancel its Chicago run. The people producing the musical blamed a uh, strike, which was an actors' equity union strike against so-called workshop presentations of new musicals that strike was quickly settled with actors gaining a new deal um, but the timing of the strike the spokesman said threw off the development plans for the mj musical however the union put out a statement questioning the logic of that statement and complaining that the actors and stage managers working on the show had not been informed of the change and they the development lab for the Chicago production was only delayed by 12 days during the strike. And it is difficult to understand how a modest delay in February could impact a run that was scheduled for late October. So now apparently the show don't stop you get enough. will just debut on Broadway in New York. That is likely to be at least a few years away. We'll see. I think it is anyway. Apparently, a Britney Spears musical is replacing the uh, MJ musical in Chicago, which is hilarious. Oh, my God. Yeah. So kind that's of our, ironic yeah. as well, in a way. Um, but you know what? This is inconclusive. Like you said, we're not really sure why it was cancelled. It could have been because of Leaving Neverland. It could have been because of the strike. Who knows? I don't know. We'll ever know. But uh, I guess the proof will be in the pudding if the Broadway musical actually hits New York. So. Stay tuned on that one. Yeah, indeed. Do you know pudding in America is very different to pudding here in Australia? What's American pudding like? I think it's like mousse, like yogo, that kind of thing. Well, like I, chocolate I didn't mousse know that. or chocolate yogo. Yeah, pudding here is like a, a cake kind cake. of thing. And we put money in it. Cake sometimes. with sauce. Well, no, that's Christmas only, Christmas and pudding. that's an old olden days thing. Yeah, but okay, <laughs> over here, pudding is like a cake with sauce. Like wow. a hot sauce, like chocolate sauce or caramel sauce. I love self-sourcing puddings, but over there, yeah, I think pudding is something very different. Anyway, that is completely off topic. Mm-hmm. You're really getting a taste of what the MJ cast is about now. <laughs> a um, taste. <laughs> a taste. Ah. <laughs> all right. We're going to head through this. There's a lot of stuff we have to get through, guys. This is going to be like a 12-hour show for all of you. Louis Vuitton's Virgil Abloh celebrates Michael Jackson during the Paris Fashion Week in New York City and then cancels production of the pieces that specifically reference Michael Jackson. 
So that was a quick turnaround for the uh, Louis Vuitton line. It was only a few weeks ago he was doing interviews saying, I was working in the studio surrounded by Michael music to create this line. And yeah, now he's saying, no, no, Michael, I'm not going to support Michael Jackson. (laughs) I didn't like the line anyway. I thought it was ugly. So (laughs) This is how quickly things are changing these days, folks. It's like, you know, we go into the show notes and half the stories we have to go, okay, well, that's cancelled. That's not happening. And It was so depressing last night when I looked because I built these show notes just as Leaving Neverland had been announced and it hadn't screened yet. I didn't really edit them since. And then, like you say, nearly every one of them was had to amend. (laughs) Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous. Head to the the show notes, folks. They are on the website, themjcast.com, or if you're listening via a podcast app like you should be, hit on show, show detail because all the show notes are there and you just click on the links and it opens up the articles and the songs and the videos and everything that we're talking about. That's where you find the show notes. That's it. Uh, Another news story, this has probably been my um, favourite one, I guess, uh, since, you know, a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah. I always love seeing new footage of of Michael Jackson and this footage is definitely footage I don't think Michael would have wanted out there in the public (laughs) for a number of reasons. But in in this instance, it shows, uh, I guess, Michael experimenting with what would become one of his most loved dance moves. So for those of you who are fans of the circular moonwalk, you know, from the Victory Tour era, this is Michael sort of practicing that, rehearsing it, doing variations of it with some cool arm moves that look like he's sort of doing a breaststroke swimming style. And uh, it got put up on gottohaverockandroll.com, which is where Frank Cassio likes to leak and sell all of his stuff. So it was probably him. But anyway, the the footage is, uh, it's fairly good quality, but the, the what's alarming about it is Michael sort of has, you know, he's got this big bandage across his nose. So I don't know what's going on with that. But yeah, it's probably something he wouldn't have wanted out there. But for a, a purely historical artistic look at Michael's development of dance, it's a pretty, I, I think it's a cool video. What were your thoughts, Q? I thought it was bizarre. I thought it was really weird and bizarre. It looked like it happened, up, like it was filmed after the Pepsi burn. He had like sort of bandages on his head. Yeah. It looked like some of it was in some sort of hospital room. Frank DeLeo was there. Branca was there. It was just bizarre footage and I did not like the arm movements when he was practicing doing that side, like the circle moonwalk thing. I thought it was really weird footage and didn't love it. Definitely not my favourite story in our news lineup. All right, now we're going to cross to uh, our Jackson family correspondent from the incredible website of Jackson Source, the magazine, the Jackson's Magazine. Yannicka is going to give you an update on the Jackson family. Here we are, our first correspondent break of season five. Take it away, Yannicka. Hey there, this is Yannicka from Jackson Source. I wanted to talk about uh, 3T's shows in Paris. They've actually cancelled a few shows in France, but they added another show in Paris. So 3T will now be performing two shows at uh, Casino Nouveau in Paris on May the 18th and the 19th. And the other shows that have been cancelled, fans have been offered to get on a free bus ride actually to to get to the first show on May the 18th. So that's sort of... um, yeah, a deal that the promoter is, is offering to the fans that already purchased tickets. And then not only are 3T performing, but actually Tarot 
announced his very first solo show. He'll be performing in Amsterdam at the Milky Way. And that's actually a venue 3T uh, performed that two years ago or maybe three or September 2016. So the venue in the city is, is definitely not, not new for Terrell. Uh, he already liked it back then. And um, I guess he decided for his very first show to come to a place that is familiar uh, to him. And I'm actually, I'll, I'll be going, obviously. So I'm really looking forward to, to his show because I really, really like his, his solo uh, debut EPs. I, there's definitely a couple of favorites that I hope he'll be performing. And then he's finishing up another uh, album or an EP. I'm not sure what it is, but I think he'll, he'll actually launch that very soon. And also uh, TJ is working on a solo project. So make sure um, you follow him as well for any announcements coming soon. There will be, there will be a lot of music. And the brothers are performing. They were uh, performing in South America and a couple of gigs in the United States and St. Martin. Uh, and actually, Jermaine wasn't there. And it's, for what I know, sort of the first time that he's missing a gig due to health issues. So I know that he's resting and he's doing what is best for him. But obviously, the fans, uh, it's disappointing for the fans in South America that they, they didn't get to see the four brothers. But um, the shows are going great and they had great, great audiences and a great response. And um, I'm pretty sure that Jermaine will join his brothers in a couple of days or weeks to perform with them again. And then there's Leaving Neverland. Obviously, it's, uh, it's airing um, basically all over the world. From what I know is that it was sold to 130 or 140 countries. So whether it, it already aired or not, it, it's, it, it's probably airing all over the world. And as for Europe... Some countries it airs, like Denmark and Sweden, my country, the Netherlands, France by now, um, Spain, Belgium. And, and basically what you see is that the ratings are a, is a huge flop rating-wise. And so it's, it's, it is the press making a big deal out of this. And they, they, will, they will use any story or anything they can related to Michael to keep, to, to keep talking about it and to continue to talk about it. So that's really sad. And as, but you see the waves coming of the peak of the media attention. And, and as, as it airs in different countries in Europe, you see different peaks. Like in Germany, it is yet to air in, a, in early April. So that's, that's where the fans are now really rallying hard and protesting and making their voice heard. So the, the media will reach it, its peak there, attention-wise in Germany within the next few days and weeks. And for other countries... The worst part has already been, thank God. So, but it's it it comes and goes in waves as as it airs in the in the European countries, from what I can tell. And then um, I think the family, especially Taj and Brandy, are doing a lot of interviews. Taj actually came over to the UK for a full back-to-back press days. I think it was two or three days, and it was good that he came over to to make his voice heard. Uh, not a, not just his voice, but that that side of the story that people need to, need to get into as well, and I think it is the simple thing to say like if you have four hours to watch some bullshit and take at least five minutes, then take at least five or ten minutes to do your research and and make up your mind, and, and if you actually do that, there's no people that can come to the conclusion that that Michael did anything wrong, and they will see that it, this is all about money and other other topics, but um. I think Brandy is doing a great job, too, because she's actually doing the, the longer radio shows, not the five or ten minute interviews, but the ones of an hour. 
some pot their podcast sort of and and longer long radio shows so she has her time to do her story and she does it well so that's amazing and then also ziggy obviously jackie's son and the brother of brandy he's he's been doing a couple of radio shows and he he's obviously a lot more raw and 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 rapping and spitting whatever truth he has to say and it's his tone is different obviously because he He's a lot more uh, uh, aggressive verbally, uh, and not in a negative way, but he he definitely knows how to say things in a manner that that we are not all used to from from Jacksons perhaps. So, I think it's good that uh, more people in the family are actually taking a stand and de- trying to defend Michael uh, in their own way. And I know there's other family members also considering going like what can we do what should we do and where should we do it and so 3t is also going to cover another few countries i believe where leaving neverland is set to air I, there's also other like i said other family members contemplating what to do and they actually want to be part of defending michael and the legacy and the family name so um, i think there there will be more family members speaking out very soon all right. Thank you, Yannicka. That was great to hear an update on the Jackson family. If you want to hear more from Yannicka, jackson-source.com and, of course, at Jackson Source on Twitter. Great way to keep up to date with what's going on in the wider Jackson family. All right. This is another news story now about celebrating Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones has decided to conduct a live symphonic orchestra in London at the O2 Arena just a couple of days before the 10th anniversary of Michael Jackson's passing. I think it's June 23rd this year. He will be performing with an orchestra and special guests, Off the Wall, Thriller and Bad, all of those three albums in their entirety. And wow, <laughs> what a way at that time of year to uh, to celebrate Michael, especially amidst this this documentary. It would have been so easy for Quincy to pull out of this, but it's going ahead. I think it will be amazing to hear this music done by the orchestra. I think that will be so incredible. And that is something that the estate should have done years ago. They should have had a touring production of a live orchestra performing Michael's music. That that should have been done in like the first six months at least. They should have announced something like that. I think it's very Odd how not a single place on the ticketing website, on the website for this, or on the promo art, it does not say Michael's name once. Not a single time. It says record sales. It says awards. It says, you know, it's, it's got so much other detail about these albums and not a single mention of Michael's name. Yeah, it's even got the font of the albums, <laughs> slightly slight variations like rip, on them. But. Yeah, rip-off fonts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. what the hell? So that's really interesting. I also will be very surprised if they actually play the entire albums of all three. I, I think Charles is going to this, isn't he? Yeah, Charlie's going, so we'll be able to hear from him. Yeah, I want to know if they do leave songs out because I have heard like um, – of other artists sometimes, yeah, we're going to play the whole album and then they leave two tracks off. Yeah, and yeah. People are disappointed because that's the one they want to go to. That's the song they've never seen live and then that never happened. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I think it would be cool to see, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm wondering about that wording stuff around the why he's left Michael Jackson off there. And, I mean, we know Quincy's 
gone head to head with the estate over the years, you know, around his, you know, music being used in This Is It and not getting paid and, and various different things. So I'm just wondering whether he's tiptoeing around it so he doesn't piss off the estate. I'm not sure. I'd love to know the answer mm. to that. Mm. Interesting. BBC have restored a radio interview that Michael Jackson actually gave with George Harrison. And Michael's the interviewer <laughs> of this one. And it's uh, an interesting listen. Unfortunately, it's not available anymore online. It was only put up for a very short amount of time. Um, I think only a month or something like that. Oh, I thought it had been put back up. Only about 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, about 30 seconds is there. But you can access a poor quality version of it on YouTube still, but the restored version is now unable to be listened to unless someone ripped it and put it on YouTube. I'm not aware of. But um, I enjoyed listening to that when it was out. I didn't get a chance, but I very much hope that our mate uh, JD got to hear it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was good to hear Michael as a music fan um, asking about certain songs and there's funny moments in the interview where he says that he thought John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote a certain song, but then George says, no, no, it was actually me that wrote that one. <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny to hear Michael as a fan of the Beatles being in, being able to interview one of his heroes, which was cool. That is cool. I would have loved to have seen him interview other people like, you know, mm. Little Richard or James Brown and, you know, people like, and Sammy Davis Jr. and Elizabeth Taylor. I think he would have done incredible interviews. That would have been something I would have loved for him to have done in the past or even in the future. Yeah, me too, because he was never afforded the respect of being asked artistic style questions. And I think he would have given that to his heroes. Oh, for sure. All right, these next news stories are my favourite news stories. And I've been looking forward to talking about these ones, that's for sure. Tobias Elihammer has released a new dance video which reinterprets Michael Jackson's scream choreography. So this is the final chapter of a video Jackson trilogy. The first was... Uh, wow, it's up to 3.8 million views for the first one. It's the Janet Jackson Burn It Up presentation from Tobias Elihammer, which was when the song came out and they got these incredible dancers from all around the world to dance to, to burn it up. So this is a few years ago. Then there was the second one, which I remember us talking about on the show. It was for Black or White. And that one was just phenomenal. It was, again, incredible dancers all around the globe dancing to black and white. And now this one, Scream, and just the, the, the choreography in it is mind-blowing, just mind-blowing. Like these are the – some they surely these are the cream of the crop, the most incredible dancers in their fields. Apparently this has been two years in the making just for this – video which i would believe because the production of it is incredible the the costumes in it are amazing so the film addresses the importance of giving hope and inspiration to others and how that in the end uh, it will come back to help us when we need it the most the world is meant for all of us it's all bound by love love humanity as a singular united race and that's the most important message of all 
The film finally addresses the responsibility we have to take care of each other and how important it is for all of us to guide the next generation into not making the same mistakes as we've made on that and many other topics. And head to our show notes, get the link. It's on YouTube. Uh, It's called Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson Scream, presented by Tobias Elihammer. Do not miss it. It's incredible. It's a very artistic piece. It has a lot of visual effects compared to his previous ones. So, and the costumes in it are just amazing. And the locations that this was filmed in are just mind-blowing. It has my beloved Iceland in it a fair bit, which I adore Iceland. I've visited there once and I think of Iceland every single day of my life. I've never been more affected by a country. It was just so incredible. Maybe I had a past life there. I have no idea. But if we have any listeners in Iceland, please say hi, send me an email, send us a tweet or a Facebook thing or even an Instagram message if you must. But um, I'd love to say hi back to Iceland because I love it there so much. Jamin, did you see this video recently? Yeah, yeah, I watched it recently. I watched it when it came out and I watched it this morning and I really liked it. Definitely uh, very well shot. I'm probably not quite as big a fan of, you know, just dance videos as you are, even though I, I appreciate the, you know, artistry and how incredible the, you know, the physical demands of doing something like that are. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it. Uh, what struck me most about it that I loved was more the sort of sci-fi cool uh, environments and the art direction of these sets that they were on. Um, I loved that. I think it's an absolutely beautiful looking I think it goes for 11 minutes or something. It's quite long, but... It does, yeah. It's got a really cool introduction and then it's got like a big sort of thing at the end as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's excellent. Like I can't speak highly enough of it. I think you've just covered it really well and I think anyone who's a fan of choreography and dancing and you've got to watch it. It's great. And it's a good intro. It's great to see Michael's work continuing to be sort of interpreted in different modern ways uh, it's like an extension of, of this choreography in Scream. So definitely watch it. I think we should even try and talk to Tobias because I've got some qu- – like this would have cost a freaking fortune. Oh, yeah. The production value looks incredibly high. And this is the, the third video. So this is like the third one that they've done, like for this series. So like, my God, hmm. that would have cost so much money and this is all just for love. And that's amazing. So maybe we should uh, reach out to Tobias and have a chat with him as a discussion topic for an episode. Sounds good. All right. Another one I was very excited about, and this came really as Leaving Neverland dropped, was the Jason Derulo lay NCT 127 Let's Shut Up and Dance music video. It is an incredible track. I love this song. It's so good, but the video is fire hot, like (laughs) seriously hot. It is such a hot video with the most incredible artistry and dancing in this, and it is pretty much from start to finish tributes to MJ in choreography and style. It's like not just a, a little tip of the hat. There's some really incredible tribute stuff in this. So, like, this needs to get some more attention, not only because it's a a pretty cool song, but the video is so awesome to watch. I loved it. I loved it. I was so excited to be able to talk about this, and uh, I hope other people out there enjoy it as well. What did you think of it? 
I'm sorry, I'm gonna rain on your parade. I did like it, but I I would I wasn't like over the moon for it. I thought it was really good. And that's it. <laughs> I thought the music was good. I thought the dancing was good. I liked the fashion tribute aspect, but yeah, it wasn't. It didn't like excite me and give me goosebumps or anything like that. Sorry, but it was good. It was cool. You just I'm thought the did it. dancing was good. Well, like I said earlier, I'm not like I don't. I don't know. I, so I, don't you I, look at like these Korean boy band dancers and go, are they real or are they robots? <laughs> because they are so precise. I don't get excited and goosebumps over incredible choreography unless I don't know. I do when it's Michael, but when it's other, I don't know. I can't explain. I, I can appreciate it, and I'd say I I realize it's good choreography, but personally, I'm not. It's not. I'm not like wow. I got to watch that 500 times. So sorry, but it was good. Thanks for raining on my parade. Okay, <laughs> moving on then. After hey, that you one, rained on my original MJ footage parade, so. <laughs> Yeah, it was not that great though. (laughs) All right. I loved this one. This is probably also one of my top three favorite stories of all of this news today is that Naomi Campbell tells her story behind the collaboration that she did with Michael uh, on the In the Closet video from the Dangerous album. It's an interview on her YouTube channel and she tells how she was working uh, with a, a fashion designer and someone in her management was saying, oh, you expect a phone call. It's very important and you have to take it. And she's like, oh, who's it going to be from? And they're like, Michael Jackson's calling. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And um, the fashion designer that she was working with at the time was a friend of Michael as well. And he was even more excited for her to get the call than she was and how he sort of booked her for, for the In the Closet video and how – I didn't know that she was a dancer when she was young. So I thought that was really cool that she spoke how nervous she was about dancing because she hasn't done it for a very long time at this point in her life. And, but it all came back to her and it, you know, she was nervous, but you know, it sort of came back to her and it was just such a great sort of little interview that she gave. I just loved it. It was so good. She is a queen. She is just incredible and so beautiful. Uh, yeah, this was awesome. I was so happy that this was in the show notes. Yeah, I, I loved this story and it's a great little video. It's almost like its own little mini documentary because it includes yeah. it includes um, not only discussion with Naomi, obviously, around the creation of this video and her participation, but it has uh, behind-the-scenes footage. It has contemporaneous interview footage uh, around the video when it came out. Uh, I loved the stories about the pranks between them. Uh, I think at one point she said by the end of the shoot, they were both all dressed in camo gear and they were just running around shooting each other with water pistols. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Which was cool. And I, one thing that surprised me a little bit was in, in those dangerous and history era videos, often we hear that Michael purposely relinquished a lot of creative control to the directors to have their way with the vision of what they wanted, like Who Is It and Scream. I always just assumed it was the same with this video. I just thought, yeah, Herbert's, this was his thing and Michael just joined in. But no, Naomi talks about Michael in this video having a lot of creative control along with Herb around what it looked like. And it seems to me, based on what she said, that that's maybe how Herb worked because she says everyone that ever works with Herb sort of loves him and uh, maybe that's because he allows freedom for the artist. I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, great little mini four-minute doco thing, and I hope we see more things like this. I hope we get to talk to Naomi one day. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
what? That's she does not get out of bed for less than like ten thousand dollars a minute. So yeah, I don't know where your budget is, but my budget's like twenty cents. Well, I don't know. Maybe she'll help the little guys out. <laughs> oh, you are charity so cause. funny sometimes. Oh my god, biggest. Hey, charity you've got cause. high hopes. You want to? You want to get? Who do you want on Latoya? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> That ain't going to happen. I would love that. Everyone would love that. We've got to keep trying. Come on. We can't give up on that. Yeah, we've, got, we've got to reach for the stars. Even in some of the, the emails that we send to people, I'm like, hey, we dream big, right? That's, yeah. I actually put that in some of those emails. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> All right. You can take the next one. All right. Well, damn it. I got the, the only one in the whole list I haven't been able to engage with. Every single time I try Same. to listen oh, to God. this. Oh, God. Damn it. Every time I hit play on it, it doesn't work. So I don't know, but I've tried about three or four times now. But anyway, we'll talk about it nonetheless and, and hopefully people can enjoy it. Uh, Macaulay Culkin has has done a podcast uh, interview uh, with the Inside of You podcast. I think Macaulay's actually quite close friends with Michael Rosenbaum, who is the host of this podcast. And I, I haven't listened to it, but I've heard other podcasts talking about the podcast and how good it is. Uh, you know, they're saying that it's a great, great sort of chat with Macaulay where he really opens up and levels with one of his friends about his relationship with Michael Jackson uh, amidst this whole Leaving Neverland crisis. And if you ever watch interviews where Macaulay's on talk shows talking about Michael, he does seem quite uh, reserved and uncomfortable and he's often a bit defensive because I think he's just been probably – there's been so many insinuations over the years of – you know, whatever, weird friendship, inappropriate behavior, that kind of thing that he's very, he gets his guard up very easily. But because in this interview he's talking with a friend, apparently he's very relaxed about it. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, I'm going to have to try. I was think it was on my list last night when I was going through and just culling old useless stories out of the, um, the news feed. But I was like, oh, I've got to add this to my podcast feed. And I probably got distracted when you were sending songs and stuff through. So I haven't done that yet. So I hope I can get it to work because, yeah, like you said, you've heard other people talking about it. I think there's been clips and stuff on um, Twitter that I've seen and heard. So, yeah, I want to hear the whole thing soon. We're going to hear from our next correspondence, our favourite cousins. Did you know we were on their show Guys, we like were. when two podcasts collide, cousin <laughs> powers combine. We were on, uh, we discussed the song Scream with the ladies over on their podcast. So we are a Michael Jackson podcast. They are our sister show, the Janet Jackson podcast. Check your podcast apps for Janet today, Janet tomorrow, Janet forever. As far as I know, they're the only Janet Jackson podcast. So I'm calling them the world's biggest Janet Jackson podcast. <laughs> um, and we were on there. We were on there. We were and it on was there. so fun. Yeah. So awesome. like, yeah, like crossover episodes of TV shows and stuff. We got to go on this show. So if you like listening to us, go over and listen to the Scream episode. But they are, of course, our Janet experts. They are our correspondents. So here is Courtney and Cousin Cam to give us the latest Janet news. Hi, this is Cousin Cam. And this is Courtney from Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever, the podcast where two cousins discuss all things Janet Jackson. And we are here to bring you a Janet Jackson update for the MJ cast. 
So a lot is happening in the world of Janet Jackson. As most people know, Janet will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on March 29th, 2019. And we are super excited about that. Yes, the queen finally gets to take her place amongst the legends. And she so deserves it. Yes, yes. The ceremony will be held at the Barclay Center in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, we're super excited. So what we do know is that uh, she will be inducted by Janelle Monet. Mm-hmm. Definitely glad to see that uh, Janelle is going to induct Janet into the Hall of Fame. Although I still wanted Jimmy and Terry to do it. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy and Terry or maybe even her brothers. Her brothers were my first choice, mostly because they were... She was a part of their induction when they got their Icon Awards for BMI. And we know Janet received her Icon Award last year and she was inducted by Missy Elliott, which was fantastic because we all love Missy Elliott. But I still want a chance to see kind of the torch passed um, from brothers to sister and for that moment to come full circle. So I was hoping it would be um, some members of the Jackson family, but you can't go wrong. I don't think with Janelle Monet, like Janet, she's a trailblazer mm-hmm. um, creating her own lane and doing things the way she wants to do them. And so I think it's fitting um, that she would induct Janet into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So no complaints there. Yeah, and I expect family members will be in attendance to see their baby sis (laughs) be inducted. (laughs) So also a cool thing about Janet's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it means that the Jackson family now ties the Isley brothers for most siblings in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, and we all know there's a lot of those Isley brothers. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot lot. of Isleys, but... (laughs) They had six brothers in, and uh, now with the addition of Janet, uh, there's now six Jacksons in. So they actually have, uh, those two families have tied the record for most siblings in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think it's fitting for uh, America's royal musical family to hold that title. Yes. And maybe if they add Randy, we'll we'll have them by one. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to get Randy in, but I feel like he got the short end of this stick. <laughs> you you always sympathize with Randy. <laughs> I feel like justice for Randy. <laughs> and after the rock and roll induction, we do know that Janet is going to be in the UK playing the Gastonbury uh, Festival. And uh, Janet pulled a power move, or at least her team pulled a power move this go around. Uh, the Glastonbury Festival, which features tons of top artists, um, when they initially put out their uh, flyer and their promo for it, they had the killers listed. And as we know, uh, typically the biggest act gets top billing. And so the killers were listed as the first act on the flyer from the official uh, Glastonbury account a, co- a week or so ago. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, uh, Janet's team through her social media published the same flyer, but Janet's name had moved to the front. <laughs> where it belongs because she is the queen <laughs> where it belongs for real like the nerve of anyone to ever in life create any sort of document listing people in order of of, of I don't want to say importance but in order <laughs> of musical contributions to the world uh, and Janet Jackson not be first <laughs> like I don't know what that list could be because Michael's gone so I don't know <laughs> Who else 
Like there are very a few other people that I would accept and none of them were on that poster. So there's very few people I would accept uh, to be ahead of Janet. So kudos to her team for getting that made right. Yes. And there's more. And most importantly, nobody puts Janet in a corner <laughs> of a poster. <laughs> and another thing this summer, Janet would definitely be um, doing her thing as she opens up her Vegas residency starting May 17th through August the 10th. So excited about that. What about yeah, you? So she's going to do 15 dates. At the Park MGM, um, which is truly exciting. So her team and they have kind of been describing it as something totally different from what she's ever done before. So, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think it, I think it's going to be a little more than just a, a reworked tour date. Uh, they describe it as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Janet being the centerpiece of this all new thought provoking show. Uh, captivating your senses with electrifying visuals, explosive dance numbers and chop tart topping hits and deep cuts. So that's interesting. I'm really hopeful that we're going to get to hear some songs from those albums that we've never seen performed, but definitely deserved a performance. Um, the show also talks about it'll be more autobiographical. So they say that they're, you know, we'll look at the path to self-love and empowerment, uh, motherhood and activism amidst the church challenges she faced along her personal journey so the show is called titled metamorphosis and it's supposed to take us i guess through janice metamorphosis from her personal life as well as uh the very public life we know as far as her musical transitions and how we watched her evolve from album to album to album so i'm really excited about that yeah i can't wait to see what miss jackson brings and maybe she'll surprise us with more um personal things that we didn't know you know that went on behind the scenes i just do know that she is rocking a new hairstyle and i'm loving it i know you may may feel different but i just think that it's time for jen to take control of the summer yeah i have been pushing for a Janet Jackson residency forever. I know lots of people were not so in favor of this. Most people want her to tour, 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 tour. Um, But I am excited about this because I think that there's so much more that you can do um, when you have a residency versus Mm -hmm. when you have to unpack and pack everything night after night. So I think that Mm -hmm. we're going to be in for some surprises. So we got our tickets. Uh, We'll be in the house for metamorphosis. And I encourage you all to do the same. Go get your tickets now. Get them now. Get them now. Yeah. So that's it for us. Uh, If you need more Janet Jackson, and we know that you do need more Janet Jackson, please subscribe to the Janet Jackson podcast, Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're already a subscriber of this podcast, please leave us a comment wherever you're listening. Your comments and likes help us help other people find us, especially on iTunes. And tell a friend to follow us on social media at JJ Today Pod. We love to hear from other fans. All right, it's great to hear from our cousins, Courtney and Cam from Janet Jackson Podcast. And Q, you've been saying recently we only released three episodes on 
on the break. And we did it. We only released three. But if you count theirs as well, it's four four episodes of <laughs> MJ-related sort of content there. So, What, what break? What, what break? break? We didn't have we, a break. What break? Bloody, I'll tell you what, it does not feel like we had a break, does it? I know. No, no, not at all. But um, listen, we got another good song to play now, and this is one of my favorite Janet Jackson tracks. We we didn't want to play the original one. We don't usually play original album tracks on the show. Uh, so this is a because you're loaded anyway. Like, why are they playing the original? Why you want to trip on me or something or the Janus? You've got it in your CD collection or on your Apple whatever music thing. You already own it. You don't want to hear something that you already own. That's right. So this this is a rarer P Diddy explicit radio remix of one of my favorite janet songs son of a gun she is angry and she is calling mother effers out who want money and we know of some of them so Boy, please, please, nah, 
don't bother me. Cause when you had me, you ain't know how to chill with me. You wanna be in the street with Come the freak knees. But now you all up on the knees, still jogging me. But I'ma say it real, real, keep it real. What the deal, how you feel, is you heal, is you sick? Cause I'ma feel still here with a pill, and it's real, don't front. Cause boy, I'm the shot. I'm doing better without you. And I'm happy without you. And this song is about you. Player, what mother come on, son of a gun? Hi, this is Michael Prince, studio engineer and producer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. I love that song. I thought that was so cool to hear it again. That was actually a breakup song for me at one point. That was it was a good breakup song too. It was very cool to have that as a breakup song. So that was cool to hear it. I hadn't heard that remix for ages. All right, we have got the last couple of news stories, folks, and this is a story that uh, we'll touch on now, and uh, at some point we're going to have uh, Christoph on the show, but there has been a book release that's the first book of the Jackson Collector Series in English, and it's just come out. It's called The Backstage Pass Collection. It is from Christophe Chalot of MJ Backstage. Head over to Twitter to find him there. He put out the magazine, MJ Backstage, and he has also put out a number of other books, including one which I know a bunch of you know about because you went and got it, which is awesome, The Travelling with a King, the travel guide for MJ fans. But this new book is dedicated to backstage passes. Now, who did not see people in photos at tours of dangerous and history or even bad tour or whatever with backstage passes hanging around their necks, dreaming of, oh, my God, what if I had had a backstage pass? But <laughs> these are like little works of art. They're collectibles. I did not know you could do a whole book about them, but this book looks amazing. It is dedicated to backstage passes of every tour. This book contains 116 pages and includes passes of Michael Jackson and also the Jacksons and also Janet Jackson and also Jermaine and 3T. Some never before seen, pretty much. Uh, there is more than 300 backstage passes of all shapes and sizes and colours listed and pictured in beautiful pictures. I love the way Christoph lays these books out. And it is an ultimate reference for every fan and collector. Uh, we are 
so proud to, to, to be able to sort of talk about this collection because the, the quality of books that comes out with Christophe Charlot is top quality. And especially for collectors, this looks like I would call a must-have for sure. The the amount of pictures, like 300 backstage passes, like all collected into one book, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty damn cool. If you ever wanted a backstage pass, now you can have all of them in one book. Have all of them, <laughs> yes. And then you can get a DeLorean and go to the Dangerous Tour and go backstage. Hell yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be cool. So check that out. We've got the link in the show notes. If you did want to head straight to the website, head to chronica.be slash store and you will see the book there. And it is also available in French. So there has been another book in this Jackson Collector series released prior to this one was only in French, but this one is the first one that's coming out in English as well. So it's in English and French. They've got different uh, colored covers, so you can tell the difference. Head to that website and grab this book. And in the f- there's a few more books coming out from this series, and we will be talking to the authors throughout season five. Speaking of cool collectible stuff, there are some bare brick released dolls i guess or statuettes or i don't know what you actually call these um things what figures. do you call it figurine collectible figures bare brick released figurines these are official these are official products that have been licensed from the michael jackson estate uh, triumph international or something they call themselves i can't remember they have partnered with this japanese company to create these awesome little cute uh, figurine things. I'm not sure. <laughs> they're they're a very unique design. I mean, Michael's got a little pot belly going on there, and he's got some <laughs> he's got some Mickey Mouse ears or something, but um or bear ears, I guess they're meant to be. But uh, very very cool. There's some thriller ones looking. He's like there's ones where he's real clean and his thriller outfits looking good, and then there's a zombie one where it's all ripped up and he's got his makeup on, and uh, they're apparently pretty big too. There's like 700 millimeter high versions. And then also littler versions. And they come in the different options. They're, they're as cheap as 90 pounds or the biggest one is 362 pounds. So, Or you uh, could use that money and donate it to Taj's documentary. Yeah, yeah. That's this is a lot of money. Probably Damn. not the time to be spending 500 odd dollars on a figurine. <laughs> but hey, who yep. are we to say? <laughs> that is cool. That's our last news story, folks. And, of course, at the MJ Cast, we love hearing from our correspondents who tell us about their area of expertise in the MJ world or the Jackson's world. And now we're going to hear from Stephen Hodges from the UK. He's our charity correspondent who runs Michael Jackson Fans for Charity, great website that you can join up with, in, especially around their monthly giving campaign to help out people in need. And Stephen's going to give us an update on the charity initiatives that are happening right now in the MJ fan world. Take it away, Stephen. Hi everyone, here are some updates from other charities in MJFFC, home of the Michael Jackson Monthly Given Project. Michael Jackson's legacy are still raising funds for their Heal the World initiative, where they are trying to raise money for bags, which will either contain a pair of special shoes or other supplies dependent on where the distribution will take place. In all cases, all bags will contain something foot-related, hence the play on Heal and Heal the World. All donations, however small, will help pay for branded bag with a pair of growing shoes or various other supplies 
to be brought and transported from factory into the hands and onto the feet of those in most need around the globe. Michael Jackson's legacy can be found at facebook.com forward slash Michael Jackson's legacy or michaeljacksonslegacy.org. Michael's Dream Foundation is still raising funds for the School for the Blind in Ranchi, India, where the foundation will be sponsoring children so that they can go to school, eat well and wear clean clothes. More on their foundation and work can be found at michaelsdreamfoundation.org. The Centre for Great Apes recently posted about Bubbles' birthday on their Facebook page, where they said Bubbles and Oopsie celebrated their anniversary and birthdays last week with a joint party since they live in the same family group. Each party theme is thoughtfully chosen by each ape's caregiver to match their likes and personalities. While some parties are elaborately decorated and others might be more simplified, the apes have a blast regardless because they are themed with their favourite things in mind. They also gave a shout out to caregivers Bria and Meg for coming up with such a fun cleaning party, and to Bubbles' birthday sponsor Pez and Oopsie's birthday sponsor Lisa for helping make their day. Bubbles is continuously supported by the MGA estate, and the centre has stated that when Bubbles first arrived at the sanctuary, an agreement was signed by a Jackson family member pledging to cover his annual care costs each year. And for every one of the 14 years Bubbles has lived at the Centre for Great Apes, MJJ Productions and the Jackson Estate have honoured this agreement and sent funds to help them care for Bubbles. In addition to that, the Jackson Estate gave a generous gift to help the sanctuary expand their chimpanzee habitats for larger spaces and additional chimpanzees who need a home. The Heal the World Miracle Community Organisation are in the middle of trying to raise money for a dock for their boat and life jackets in order for some of the children in Uganda to be able to travel safely to a primary school that is far from where the children are all based. If you are able to assist this organisation in raising funds, they can be found at Heal the World Miracle Community Organisation, and that's with a Z, dot com. If you know of any other organisations that were inspired by Michael Jackson that we have not mentioned here, please get in contact with us so we can report on their work and progress in future charity updates. Even considering recent events, our own Michael Jackson Monthly Giving Project continues to strive. We've seen a growth in £1 monthly donors and now have 63 MJ fans on board. So thank you to all of those that joined us most recently. It just shows that Michael's legacy is still fully alive and kicking and we will gladly continue to be a voice through all of the noise. In February this year, Michael Jackson fans were proud to have been able to contribute 250 British pounds or 330 US dollars to baby Olivia, who was battling a brain tumour. Olivia's family found out earlier this year that their 17-month-old baby was diagnosed with the tumour so after discovering their family's appeal for help online, we very much thought they could do us some help. We reached out to Olivia's family and they were delighted with our contribution. If you would still like to donate directly, full details are on our impact page on our website at mjffc.org. In March, we've been raising money for Jax's journey, which is to help a little boy called Jax. He has been through a lot, including a bowel infection and cerebral palsy. We are delighted to have been able to help raise funds for him throughout March. If it is still March 2019, then it may still be time to contribute on our website at njffc.org. We have not selected an April beneficiary at the moment, but this will be announced on our social networks early in April. As we are approaching Michael's 10th year of his passing, we want to also give an idea of the things MJFFC has been achieving with the help from his fans carrying on his message. For the last eight years, the Michael Jackson fan community have raised in total almost US dollars the Michael Jackson Monthly Given Project in particular has raised money for various beneficiaries, including those that are here to help prevent child abuse. With the help of some fellow MJ fans, some of which are monthly donors, here is a list of those child-specific beneficiaries our organisation has been able to give to over the last eight years 
in order of oldest first. September 2011, £36 for SOS Children's Villages. October 2011, £37 for BBC Children in Need. December 2011, £46 for Great Ormond Street Hospital. March 2012, £53 for Action for Children. September 2012, £106 for Orphans Lifeline International. November 2012, £137 for Children's Hunger Fund. April 2013, £120 for the James Bolger Memorial Trust. July 2013, £145 for the Children's Hospital Trust. August 2013, £176 for Healthy Child, Healthy World. November 2013, £162 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. March 2014, £151 for the Starlight Children's Foundation. April 2014, £172 for Child Health. October 2014, £185 for Save the Children. June 2015, £243 for Children in Crossfire. December 2015, £339 for War Child. April 2016, £329 for Save the Children. June 2016, £198 for Rainbows for All Children. July 2016, £225 for SOS Children's Villages. August 2016, £318 for World Child Cancer. April 2017, £225 for UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency and the Children of Syria. August 2017, £325 for the Rainbow Trust Children's Charity. August 2018, £215 for the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. And December 2018, £500 for Street Child. Going forward, we'll be continuing to contribute to personal funds and appeals from the general public. So if you know of any appeals close to your heart, please don't hesitate to put them to our team and we'll take a look. You can do this via our online form at www.mjffc.org.uk forward slash contact. Thank you for listening. More updates soon. And don't forget to keep making that change. Uh, and speaking of correspondence, that was a great little update there from from Stephen. But we do have some news to give everybody, just a little bit of a change of lineup in the MJ cast personnel. Uh, we have decided to let one of our correspondents go, uh, who was Mr. Anthony King, our live performance correspondent. We put a little statement out on our social media around that decision. And Q, you're going to read that for us now. Due to recent events and a separation of some important shared views, we are disappointed to share that Anthony King is no longer in a position to continue as our live performance correspondent, the MJ cast. Yeah, we won't be going into detail about why that is, but hey, I'm sure you've... If you've it's pretty obvious. Media, you would yeah. have seen. Uh, if new MJ concerts do leak in the future, then of course we'll be reaching out to other fans who have great expertise levels around knowing about his live shows and there's many of them out there so we look forward to engaging those people Jamin, are we doing mm-hmm. finds of the week yes let's do a find yeah so for people that are new listeners one of our regular things we do on these episodes is a segment we call finds of the week 
These are little things that we have been engaging with recently because, of course, this is not a weekly podcast. Thank God. Who has the time for that? But they're just things that we've been engaging with recently and we want to share with people. And it can be pretty much anything. And yours is very Michael related. So you can (laughs) uh, tell us your find of the week. Jamin. No worries. Well, uh, I'm not the hugest Weezer fan. They're a rock band that I like a couple of their songs. They got a song called Buddy Holly that's got a great video to it. It's like a Happy Days type cool video. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I guess I like their style. But they just recently released a covers album and they decided to cover the Michael Jackson song, Billie Jean. And I think they do a really good job of it. I always get really wary when I hear of people trying to cover Billie Jean. Um, but they've, they've yeah. done sort of a rock version of it and they've slowed it down. And it's, I, I think it actually is really cool. So if you like rock music and you like Weezer and Michael Jackson, check out this find of the week, a cover of Billie Jean. I really enjoyed it. It was very good. Cool. Not something I would have probably come across on my own. Don't really know much about Weezer at all, but um, I was quite impressed. I was like, oh, because, yeah, you just don't know which way it's going to go. When someone does a cover, you're going to go, oh, God, this is either really good or really terribly bad. So, yeah, I was impressed. I can't remember their name, but do you remember in the 2000s there was like a girl duo in Australia that covered The Way You Make Me Feel? Oh, I did not rate that. Well, who would that yeah, be? Yeah, I can't oh. remember their name, but it wasn't great. No. Best, was we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> it did quite well, I think, for them. Yeah, Good for them. I think it did. Oh, Lordy. All right. My finds of the week are actually a few Twitter accounts and a, I guess, the return of uh, a brand, a website that um, maybe some longtime MJ fans might be aware of. Uh, I want to make people aware of. At Factual MJ, and there's a French version, at MJ Factuel, F-A-C-T-U-E-L for the French version, accounts on Twitter. They are putting out stuff in response to leaving Neverland, and they are putting out uh, pictures and videos with information that people can use and share. I will try and get it account up. Now, it's an objective fact-checking platform on Michael Jackson and Leaving Neverland, and I think that you should go and follow them and definitely share their stuff. Yeah, some of their videos are up in the tens of thousands of, of views, and you can share them across Facebook and Twitter at this stage, and I would very much suggest supporting them. Uh, they are one of countless, I can say many, but it's it's really countless accounts that are, you know, doing what they can to show the reality of this whole Leaving Neverland TV show. But there's good people behind this account and the quality of the stuff that they're putting out for people like us to use and you, listeners, uh, is is very high. So I would like to draw attention to them. But also, I would like to draw attention to a account that has sort of returned from the wilderness after a long, long time. <laughs> um, there would have been maybe many people in the sort of when was it the early 2000s or late 90s it was in the 90s wasn't it definitely in the 90s late 90s it was, it was the 2000s it was mainly i was on there during the trial okay. 
So okay, yeah, um, MJJ Forum, MJJF. So MJJ Forum was a message board. Is that what it was called? Forum. Yeah, message board. Yeah, it was like a fan forum. Yeah, online fan forum, and it was really, really a good place. It got taken over and things happened and it was not a good place anymore. Change names and stuff, but MJJF have come back. Their website is mjjforum.com. And on Twitter, you can find their handle at MJJforumUSA. The original MJJ Forum, oh, yeah, there we go, established in August 2001. And now they have reopening at this stage, not as a forum, it's just as a blog, but they are back to support Michael and his children. And I think you should definitely head over and there, follow them on social media, on Twitter, but go and check out their website because it is an incredible resource. I was blown away. So if you go across the top, there's home, Research, boycott, tea, support, and cancelled. If you need a list of all the people that are in cancelled for speaking out against Michael or who to boycott or whatever, but in the research tab, they have the most probably comprehensive resource list I've ever seen. So from websites, you know, the Vindicating Michael, MJ Allegations, Daily Michael, Leaving Neverland Facts, MJ Innocent. There's links to documents, the FBI files, the 2005 trial transcripts, the estate's letter to HBO or Channel 4, Brett Barnes' letter. There's the Diane Diamond, Victor Gutierrez case. There's links to articles, which I'll be exploring because there's a particular article I cannot find anymore. It was so well written. But there's um, links to amazing articles in here. There's other sources. There's Twitter threads. There's links to Twitter threads in here, which has come in handy. So to have them here is amazing. There's links to videos defaming the dead rebuttal from Razor Fist and the Michael Jackson Wade Robson a real story video that came out from uh, Julia and Mary and team just scrolling 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 where listed <laughs> yay there you go under audio episode 95 there's a link just there we're podcast of the week or something at the moment there it's very cool really that's so cool i oh my god that's amazing oh my god we are too featured podcast Oh, that's so cool. Oh, Thank thanks, you, guys. guys. <laughs> uh, thanks, MJJF. That's so great. Um, I was just really happy to sort of see their name in my feet again. Yeah. I, I Like, you know, I've, you know, that's a different time. Uh, it would be cool if there was like a forum that got started where people could go and chat, you know. I've been sort of kicked out of a Facebook thing recently and no loss there. It wasn't that sort of amazing as it used to be in the past as well, but – um. Yeah, like this is just cool to have MJJ Forum back. And this website is very comprehensive and I think you should go and check it out. So they are part of my find of the week. Great find, dude. I'm so happy MJJF are back. I spent a lot of time there in the mid-2000s. They kept me sane during the trial era. They were my first forum home really before I discovered Max Jacks a little bit later on. I loved those days. I loved, you know, talking with Trish. I was a mod there actually for a little while. I worked for him. 
um, for so a few months, go. I think, or six months. But yeah, yeah great, and this is all done with Trisha's blessing as well. Yes, this isn't though. Not doing this with you know, she's given the blessing, and I, she might even do an op-ed piece. So just check, I'd heard her name mentioned recently. So just go and check that. Yeah, for sure. Great find. Thanks. Yeah, I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to pick because I could have picked a bajillion things because I've had to interact with so many amazing things recently. Like I was like, should I do some articles or what? Like videos, articles that I've been sharing and using and reading and enjoying. But I was like, actually, no, these accounts I want to highlight. Go and follow them and support them. I think it's time for another song. All right. What have you got for us, Mr. Jamin, DJ Jamin in the house? All right. So, so far we've had MJ and Will Smith. We've had a bit of P. Diddy and Janet and, of course, F. Wade by Michael Traxon. But this is my favorite one. This is, this is I don't know, man. Like when I heard this the first time, I was a bit like, oh, can I, is this, you know, this is a bit of a weird mix, but just took me one listen. And then now it's skyrocketed to my top played MJ track right now. Uh, This is Why You Want to Trip on Me, DJ MGR Trip on Mix, and I'm calling it the Trip Mix. And Q, what did you, you discovered something about this when you researched a little bit, didn't you? Oh, it was like 10 years old. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, (laughs) I was very surprised. It's Because I was saying how fresh AF this sounded. And then I was like, hang on, let me, this, I know this uh, YouTube channel that you sent me, it like lifts other people's mixes and just puts them up on their channel endlessly yeah. that's all they do so i was like hang on let me have a look and in the comments there was someone's like hey thanks for sharing my mix i was like hang on a minute so i checked on his and i went and saw his channel i was like i don't understand how these songs on his channel are so old why is this awesome fresh af song 10 years old so there you go i very much like i love the chorus so trip yeah. mix me up let's do it
Hey, this is Taj Jackson of 3T, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. We had a break, allegedly. <laughs> we did a Christmas episode, and we're like, and then we're like, uh, we we won't wait until March to come back. I know. We did. I know. We, we waited till March, but in that break, there were other episodes, and it was um, amazing content. So if you haven't already, the Harrison Funk episode that you and Charlie did was brilliant, followed by the Leaving Neverland Roundtable, episode 94. Uh, is that right? No, 95 for Leaving Neverland. Yep. And then we did the mixtape, finally. We got the mixtape out. Yeah, and a screen collaboration. Which is episode 96. Oh, and then the screen collab over at Janet Today Podcast. Then we've, you know, been dealing with the whole Leaving Neverland thing, which has been exhausting, to say the least. So exhausting. But, Jamin, we had some great stuff as well happen while we were Mm. away from the podcast. You finally got to see the Jacksons perform live. I know. How was, was that for you? It's amazing. It was something I'd waited so long to have it in my life and it happened and it happened better than I ever could have imagined it happening. Started off with an awesome, you know, little beer session with Marnie and Damien. We caught up as well. He was there and my friend Terry and Marnie's mum and we just sort of sat around and had a beer and talked about MJ and the Jacksons and it was really good. We had a great time at the Gold Coast. It was actually the Jackson show was like sort of a part of, you know, a few you know a few nights at the Gold Coast for us. But yeah, on that first night we went there and as I was going there, as we were driving there, I started to hear from people that there was a chance that I might actually be able to meet the Jacksons. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Is this really going to happen? And, <laughs> you know, it, it turned out, it, it you know, it was going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I won't name who, but a person that knows the family really well and sort of does a bit of work for what them. What was their management? Their management yeah. knew that we were going to the shows and the yes, management yeah. uh, reached out to us and contacted us, which was uh, not expected and yeah. very surprising and um, almost didn't happen for Perth anyway because yeah. of damn security at the concert and stuff. But, yeah, it was – it was. we were very grateful for that because we would never expect – we don't expect special treatment. We're two guys sitting – I'm sitting at my <laughs> kitchen table talking yeah. about Michael Jackson and the Jackson family. You know, we're not here. We don't feel entitled to special treatment or anything, but it was very appreciated. Yeah, very appreciated. And throughout the – I was told by this person to, you know, keep an eye on my phone because at some point I was going to get a message from this guy – and I felt a bit bad for my friend Terry because I was sitting next to him in the concert and I kept looking at my phone, not not through the Jacksons part, but prior to that. And the call didn't actually come. I was and I kept being told that the chance would be that I'd get to meet them before the show. The message didn't come, so the concert happened. The Jacksons came out, and it was absolutely incredible. I you know just I can't speak highly enough of them. Uh, like everybody has said before, that seeing them, they are great musicians live. Uh, I was blown away by the vocal quality, by their voices, by their energy and their dancing, by the you know musicianship. Tito on guitar, Jermaine on bass. It was awesome. Uh, they played so many hits. They played a few great Michael Jackson songs as well that I wasn't expecting them to do Rock With You, but when they did Rock With You, that was, that was cool. Lots and lots of their hits. They started with Can You Feel It, which is... It was awesome and <laughs> our mixtape recently we put out is sort of a bit of a, for me, it's a bit of a personal celebration of, you know, the Jacksons and finally being able to see them in Australia and that's, you know, why we put a bit more Jacksons in that tape, I guess. But, like, it was uh, it was great. It was, what can I say? I had so much fun, so much fun. 
And then you uh, you did get to meet them. Yeah, yeah. Well, even before that, we got to. It was great hanging out with Marnie, and then we caught up as well with a couple of listeners to the show as well. Who saw me when I was walking in. It was actually really. Uh, <laughs> it was funny as I walked into the arena. I looked up to my left to the stands, and there were these two, you know, girls waving down at me. And one of them was a listener, Rebecca, which was really cool. And we got a photo together. And then, um, yeah, the show happened. And then after the show, uh, I had to hustle a little bit because that text still didn't come through. So I went and spoke to the security. They led me to a certain area backstage where I had to go and I was there waiting with Marnie and Terry and Marnie's mum and finally we got we got to go um, backstage with a group of other people. Uh, Marlena, who's another fan of Michael Jackson, was there and I think she listens to the show as well. So hi, Marlena. And uh, we, went, we went sort of backstage into a hallway area and um, we kept being told this is when they're going to come, this is when they're going to come, just wait here. And at first we were like, what, a hallway? That's kind of weird. Isn't there like a green room or something? But... We were sort of lined up in this white bricked hallway and one by one, the other musicians sort of walked past us to leave. So, you know, members of the other bands that had played, so it was cool to say hi to them. They didn't really do the meet and greet. They just walked straight through, but it was still cool to say hi to them and see them. And then eventually I heard whispers, they're coming, they're coming, here they are, here they are. And there was, you know, a little bit of, oh my God. And then they, they came out, the Jacksons came out. And I was, first of all, I was blown away by their clothing. They were dressed a lot of like Jermaine was in this full satin looking suit thing looked really cool but uh, the other guys were in like proper jumpers like winter sweaters and long pants they were rugged up and this is in the middle of our hottest time this is Australian summer really hot and they were rugged up I was like what's the deal but anyway they <laughs> whatever suits um, so we started interacting. They were all split up in a, in a very closed-in environment, though, but they were all separate and everyone was interacting with each of them individually. So I had a quick quick chat with each of them. Jermaine seemed a little bit down, so I didn't want to talk to him too much. He, you know, he's been going through some stuff and he's been, you know, hospitalized recently. Um, so get well soon, Jermaine. But um, so – and then there was – I spoke to – Tito briefly, he remembered me. He remembered us from the show, from the MJ cast, and you know he acknowledged that. And and I spoke to uh, Marlon for a little bit, but the person I spoke to most was Jackie, and it was so humbling. It was oh my god, he he got up right close to me, and he was looking at me right in the eyes, and he was so soft spoken, and he's just locked eyes on me. There was no like oh I want to go somewhere else or anything. It was like for that moment I was talking to Jackie, and it was cool, and he was. He just he knew who we were and he just said, look, I really want to say how much I appreciate and we appreciate what you do. So uh, that was that was so cool to hear that. And then we sort of like I had to uh, again, I had to hustle a little bit because I knew I knew I wanted a photo with these guys. Um, they're probably never going to come back to Australia. Hopefully they do. But who knows? So I'm like, I got to make this happen. So I started rounding them up. I was like, okay, uh, Jermaine, I want to get a photo with you. And then I started ushering to the other guys like, come here, come here, come here. And they started to all come into the photo. And um, I, I just jumped to the back of them, put my arms around them and I got a photo and I love it. It's like one of my favorite photos ever now. Um, so very happy there. And I, my only regret is that um, Marnie wanted a photo with them as well. So I'm sort of like signaling, come on, Marnie, get in the shot. And then Marlon did a really funny thing where he was like, you know, jump in, come on. And so Marnie got in the shot, but uh, I didn't get out of the shot. 
<laughs> so I was so starstruck. I'm still there in the photo. Like, why? The- I was also trapped behind them against a brick wall, but still, I really wish I jumped <laughs> out of that photo so Marnie could have got her own photo. So I'm sorry, Marnie, that I'm in your Jackson's photo, but nonetheless, <laughs> great experience. And um, I, if you don't mind, Q, I'm going to cut to a little bit of audio now that Marnie and I recorded together. We filmed ourselves straight after the Jacksons show. We rushed up to the stage and we touched them and Tito, I held up my Jacksons book to them and Tito looked at it and gave me a thumbs up. And so straight after that moment. Yeah, before meeting them, this was the concert finished. Concert finished and we filmed this little bit. So let's cut to that now. Marnie, we just, we three, literally three touched hands. the Jacksons. We touch, I touched three hands of the Jacksons, <laughs> all, all except Jermaine, because he's oh, not I as, did. I did a peace yeah. sign to Tito. Tito did the peace sign back. I showed him I his book. I touched Tito twice. He gave me the thumbs up. I was holding his book out. I touched Tito. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a little bit embarrassing. I'm fangirling right there over these guys, but... <laughs> Such a fangirl. <laughs> it was cool. And then I got him to sign the book later on. So that was a gift from UQ. Thank you very much for giving me that book. And and I got it signed by all members of the Jacksons. And now it's um in my cupboard under lock and key forever. And uh, yeah, Monday I'll put it on display. And that was my experience. So a couple of days later, they went to Perth. They did on one of the hottest days of our summer. It was a horrendously hot day. It was insanely hot. Um, And it was a music festival, so it was outside. But we were really, me and my uh, Perth friends, um, there was Mel and Justine and Julie and Brenda, um, and we met their Dr. Raj, um, he was there with his friends and wife as well. And um, we we sort of carpooled there in a couple of cars. Um, Raj was already there and we didn't go for the whole afternoon to see all the other acts, which if it was a cooler day, I probably would have, but because of the heat and I don't cope well in the heat, neither does my skin. Uh, we went there as um, – we went there in the early evening. And who was the act before the Jacksons? It was a pretty big name. Cool in the gang. Cool in the gang. Cool in the gang were on stage as Amazing. we got there. And yeah, so, and we'd never been to a festival like this before. So we had some chairs because we didn't know how it was going to work with location of where we could see the show and stuff. Um, luckily, we sort of just found a place where we could dump all of our stuff that we didn't need, like picnic blankets and chairs. And as Cool and the Gang finished, a lot of the crowd that was right in the area directly in front of the stage cleared out. So we were like, let's go. So we moseyed on in. We just walked on down and we got not like right up to the barricade, although we had a friend there, Adam, who had been there all day. He's a listener of the show. Shout out to Adam. He'd been there with his mum and they were on the barricade so they could have the best view for the Jacksons. God knows how he survived the heat. I do not know. But we got a really good location and I was there with a great group of people. The show was amazing. It had started to cool down by the time we arrived, thank God. Uh, And then the sun went down and they put on an amazing show. They had some sound issues, which was very frustrating for them. But still, for us, where we were, the sound was cool and the show was terrific and the set list was great and 
yeah, it was it was an amazing show. And then, yeah, I got messaged off their manager and then he called and he was trying to explain where to go. And uh, Julie Windsor came with me. We had our Jackson Legacy books that we got autographed by the brothers. We did not get photo like you did. We didn't hustle them up. So we <laughs> um, got some photos of Julie meeting them um, or some of them, but we didn't get like a group photo like you did, which I knew I'd never have a photo as perfect as yours, but it would have been cool. But that's okay. We got the autographs and met them and had a quick little chat with each of them. And... Yeah, it was it was a great experience. It was a great night, and it was funny because um I had actually been at the hotel in Perth when Michael Jackson arrived in 1996, and I saw Julie meet Michael Jackson. She had been um quite sick in hospitals a lot growing up, and through that she had been selected to meet Michael. So I got to see Julie meet Michael on the steps of the hotel. And then years later, we became friends in real life, which was awesome enough. Julie's a great lady. And then I got to see her meet the brothers as well. So that was a really special Mm. moment for me and um, for Julie as well. So that was really cool. But yeah, other than that, like, have you done anything else exciting? Like you've gone back to school. So I guess you haven't been able to go on any trips or anything. No, honestly, I I literally have led a very boring life apart from that just just school you know working hard uh to be honest with you that's how i'm sort of getting through this leaving neverland crap thing i'm just really knuckling down and getting into my job so i was just going to ask you that actually <laughs> like what are you doing to sort of get through all of this uh well to be honest with you it's just applying myself to work and doing the best job i can at my work luckily i have a job that i can you know if i let it it can very much it can take over a lot of my time because, you know, being a holder to school, it's a lot of, you know, managing team, you know, all kinds of writing newsletters, creating assessment, all, you know, you name it. So all kinds of things that I've been doing and marking. And uh, so, yeah, I've been getting it through it that way. I have been not engaging with a lot of social media on purpose. Uh, I try to do my bit where I can, but I haven't been engaging with a lot of it. That's helped. And um, I just getting into other stuff, you know, and, and then talking with you and talking to my MJ mates to, to work through what's going on. And I, I think I'm doing okay. The hardest moments have been where I've been confronted in classrooms. And, um, yeah, to be honest with you, like it's been a bit tough the last few days as well at home because, you know, Lee watched the doco and she – you know, I'm not. She doesn't believe Wade or Jimmy, but she certainly is open to ha- them having a voice um, about it. And she's. I've been trying to educate her on the facts, but it's so hard when we don't have something. I can just say, go and watch this or read this. Like trying to do it verbally is really hard, especially because I'm such a big fan. I think that clouds people's vision sometimes when you try to explain it. It just looks like you're making excuse after excuse. <laughs> um to people when they know you're a big fan but so yeah that's been a bit tough but getting through it and um hoping for a brighter day at some point what about you how are you dealing with it kylie minogue <laughs> yeah that was a great distraction she um toured australia with her golden tour and that was actually another outdoor gig so i went with uh, my girlfriend here and uh, i had got her tickets um 
for Christmas for me and her. So it was a festival. We didn't go and watch the previous acts. We had, it was seating actually. So behind us, there was a huge area of like, like people could put picnic rugs down or whatever, but we had actual allocated seating, which was a huge relief. And uh, thankfully we had pocket gaze in front of us. We had the shortest gaze in Perth, thank God. So we could see over the top of them, which was a blessing. So we had a really good spot and a really good view. And Kylie put on an incredible two-hour set. And that was on actually the second episode of the TV show, Leaving Neverland. It was the night that that aired. So I was not online. I couldn't deal with it because I was at the concert so that was actually a really good break and yeah like Kylie Minogue freaking world class such a good show it was such a good set list and yeah two hours solid under the stars on the banks of the South Perth foreshore with the Swan River not far away in the city over to our right yeah it was an awesome awesome distraction and such a good night so that was a blessing of becoming quite distracted on purpose, feeding <laughs> my sort of distraction list is Eurovision. So we had a lot of the the country's sort of grand finals that's leading up to Eurovision, which is coming up. So guys, if you're listening to the show and you also love Eurovision, hit me up on Twitter. Happy to talk with you about Eurovision and stuff. You know, I watched um, Melody Grand Prix uh, from Norway, uh, Melody Festivalen, from Sweden, loving the playlists on Apple Music with all of the different countries. We, of course, finally this year in Australia, we had our own Australia Decides sort of 10-act concert, which was actually over near you at the Gold Coast. Mm. Um, and we are sending Kate Miller-Heidke. She was I've seen her live before. second. Well, now she's going to Eurovision. Wow. With her song, Zero Gravity. She won the – I. she wasn't my top vote. She would have been my number two, I guess. My top vote was Electric Fields. I think like many, many people were a bit disappointed that Electric Fields are not representing us because their track was amazing. Brisbane band Shepherd, they had a song for Eurovision. They were um, in the, the top ten for Australia, So, but they didn't get through, sadly. There's a, I like the song. I want Norway to win. Oslo 2020 with Kino spirit, you know, spirit in the sky. That's my top pick to, to win Eurovision. So any Norwegian listeners, I know there is actually some Norwegian listeners out there. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, deuce, is it deuce points, 12 points to Norway. I want them to win out of Melody Festival. And there was another act that I was sad. Didn't get through the Swedish act that did get through is very good. But my pick was my new favorite like crush i'm looking around it's my new husband he's a reindeer handler in snowy sweden <laughs> jean henrik felligren oh my god in love amazing so i wanted him to go to eurovision but he didn't so i'm heartbroken but i have discovered the music of john henrik felligren and i love it he sings in a, a in a like a native tongue called swami which i need to research and learn more about because i'm probably saying completely incorrect things but oh my god such a good distraction so yeah just keeping positive with stuff like that when i can did some mj catch-ups in perth which was amazing with our friends here, MJ fan friends in Perth. It was really good. So easy just to organize a cafe catch up with people. So yeah, been keeping busy and 
doing what I can online, but actively learning to take breaks and not be online a lot. It's a new era. It's a new time, yeah. But as we uh, wrap the show up, I have a long list of thank yous and it's missing about 50,000 people that we've interacted with online who and people that are doing so much that I just can't name everyone. But I wanted to do some thank yous. So on Twitter, Diana Nielsen, new listener, Andrew Green, 864, welcome. Sean Fitzgerald, who we've had on the show, at Press to Play Loud, Austin at Creative Art APE. Um, Paul Dwyer, who we had on episode 92, he actually did some media interviews as well here in Australia, which um, I appreciate. Uh, at S Bar Brisboys, uh, at Michael Tiha, at It's Mary Me, at Julia Berkowitz One, at VP Advocacy at Email Raven, who did an amazing article, at MJJ Legion at Appleseed120, at DJ Baby 2009 at 13June2005, Deb Francis, and special shout-out to our friends Damien Shields, Mike Smallcomb, Samar Habib, Joe Vogel, a lot of those guys, Damien, Mike, um, and Joe wrote some amazing articles that we shared across social media. They are really very well written. Casey Rain also wrote that amazing article that got a lot of readers. So thank you to all those guys. Um, my local Perth MJ mates, you know, there's Justine, but it was so great also to see in person those that could make it to the cafe catch-ups, Julia, Monica, Adam, Daniel, Jermaine, Brenda, and my mate, Dr. Raj from Perth MJ fam. Thank you for our little Perth cafe catch-ups and we'll organize another one in the future but we've had so many people email us over the last couple of months that it's been incredible and hard to keep up with so lara teal from germany who sent us an amazing account of the launch of the mj on the wall exhibition in germany uh, with some photos and videos and telling us about maybe some differences that are going to be in this show. It's sort of not ignoring the Leaving Neverland thing. They actually address it. There's actually someone at the exhibition to answer questions. I don't know who or what they're going to be answering. So Jesus. I'd like to sort of, yeah, I don't know, like are they an expert? Are they a fan? Are they, you know, they're going to just tell everyone about the show and not – do both sides, but I thought that was something very interesting as a development for that exhibition. Um, Andrew Badami, uh, Shane Martin from San Francisco, Paloma Natasha, Ellen Bottom, Stephanie D, Tara Palmer from Denver, Vivian Lee from California, Terrell Brown, Francis Miller, sorry, Francis Filler, Anna Yo Lewis, Sue Collins in Pittsburgh, Charlie Carter, Celine Gonzalez, Nanda Hong, Tracy Stonianis, I think, 
Amazing letter from Declan Faye. That was so great, actually. Yes, I love that letter from um, Declan. He's in Galway, Ireland, which was uh, – you should go back and read that letter. It was really cool. Um, Big Buck, Hannah Kay, Dilly, and Cliff Woolley. That's just some of the emails that we've received over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So, Huge shout out to all of you and to all of our listeners. Thank you for returning for season five and special welcome to any new listeners. We are so happy that you've joined us and the many thousands of people that tune in. It's our last little segment of this episode because, yes, it's a 12 and a half hour long episode. <laughs> but you know what? What a great way to finish it with that little contribution from the dude, Kuba. Thanks, Kuba, man. All right. Well, that's a wrap. That's our first regular episode of the MJ cast for season five and if you liked what you heard if you're still sticking with us right at this three hour and something mark and you've enjoyed what you've heard guys you can subscribe to us as a podcast you can get us on apple Podcasts, stitcher radio uh, lots of different kind of podcasts out there for android including podcast republic which we've heard is great uh we're also cast box we've heard cast box is really good for android users as well Check that one out. We are um, also on social media all over the place at the MJ Cast on us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We uh, we have a website, themjcast.com. It's a repository for all of our shows. You can go back and check them out there in our show notes from the really older episodes. And listen, if you do want to send us some email, we love it when people contact us just by that big mailbag list that Q read out. We we love hearing from people, and you can reach us at themjcast at icloud.com. Um, you know, drop us a line. Tell us how you're dealing with the Leaving Neverland stuff, how you're coping with it, how you're feeling. Uh, if you don't have that many MJ mates in your world out there and you want to reach out to someone, um, feel free to drop us a line. There's people on Twitter as well. Go to our account, the, at the MJ Cast on Twitter. There's lots of people on there um, interacting with each other um, that you might want to connect with as well to deal with this difficult time. Um, but thank you very much. For yeah, everyone. Facebook people are – People are interacting in the Facebook comments, you know, it's so easy every episode, you know, go there and go, oh, yeah, did you love this part of the episode and start a conversation over there. That's it. That's it. But really from the bottom of my heart and Q's heart, we want to say thank you to everybody who listens to this show. Um, we're in our fifth season now. We love what we do. We're going to keep going and do lots more episodes and special episodes this season. Very excited for a great season, great 2019. And no, we are not going to focus on leaving Neverland every episode. That's not going to happen. We are going to remain positive. We're going to be focusing on that awesome MJ news that will be happening and we'll be bringing it to you. So I hope everybody enjoys their fortnight ahead. And Q, thanks for joining me on this episode of the MJ cast. Q Michaeling. And as I sign off, Jamie and I are going to send a big, big hug and thank you to Elise who has kept the wheels turning with our social media and in the background as everything has been happening. I can assure you without Elise's assistance, this would have ground to a halt quite a while ago and season five probably would not have been starting even now in this state's stage in March. So thank you, Elise. Big love and thank you. And to all our listeners, thanks again. Tune in soon. Subscribe and you won't miss an episode except on Spotify because our episode's too long to go on Spotify. That's why it's not happening there yet. But thank you very much and Michael on.
Oh, there we go. Done. I need Panadol so <laughs> badly. The MJ Cast.